All right, man. Three, two, one. Let's go. go! I'm the host of the PB podcast, Troy Tittlemeyer, joined with Nathan Zanero. And we will get to Nathan. He'll do his elevator pitch here in a minute. But first, of course, Nathan, the legendary horizontal uh, horizontal well drilling socks by Trunkline. Trunkline is proudly supporting American in, uh, energy independence with these socks, and they also have a platform that's really cool. It all starts with the idea that he got a scholarship, and the scholarship had a bunch of competition to it, right? He was going to try to get his undergrad degree, degree, blah, blah, blah. He shows up. He prints out his woodworking. You'd appreciate this because you're a carpenter. He he built like all these bookcases and desks, and that's what he did for high school, right? And and he he printed out on eleven by seventeen the woodworking work that he did at his job. So when he sat down for the interview, tell him about yourself, why you should qualify for the scholarship, blah blah blah. He it wasn't until he showed him that here show here's a here's my work, here's what I do. And then that was the inspiration to Trunkline. Trunkline's a digital portfolio on the website where you put up what you do, put up the before and afters, put up nice. what you do, and allow people to just see it. If it's what they want, they'll call you. I love it. I'm going to have to check it out. Yes, trunkline.com, man. It's cool. And the other company that sponsors the PBE podcast is Exploration. I mean, I'm sorry, Impact Exploration Services. Impact Exploration Services. And they do mud logging, geo steering. And they have a laboratory where they can do uh, rocky valve paralysis, XRF, XRD, fluid analyses on the rocks and cuttings and fluids that are coming out of these wells while we drill them. Where are they based? Houston. Nice. Yes, Impact is out of Houston. They have a lab there. They got experts there, and uh, and you 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 know you're familiar with that stuff, right? You need mud log information coming in with all your drill bit information yep, as, yep. as all that relates, right? Is it a sandstone? Is it a shale? Is Absolutely. it a carbonate? Uh, so they keep track of that. I bet Impact would be able to hook right up into Well Drive. You might even have Impact already on Well Drive. I could go check it out. <laughs> nice. I'll ask them too. Uh, but I appreciate the sponsorship. Thank you. PBE Podcast always appreciates that. We have some live events coming up. April 14th, we'll be in Houston for a crawfish boil with Stratigraph. We'll be at the Geolog uh, Golf Tournament in Houston. You're in Houston, right? Yes, sir. You got to come to these craw- You got to come to these events. I'll man. be there. Nice. Perfect. Uh, we'll be up at the Wichita Falls Southwest Section AAPG event. Uh, that'll be cool. North Texas Geologic Society is celebrating 100 years. Wow. 100-year society of geologists just getting That's together, awesome. drinking whiskey, fighting about the rocks. That's awesome, as they should. Every good geologist needs a fist fight and some, about rocks every once in a while, right? <laughs> yes, I totally agree with that. Let me pull up your LinkedIn as we prepare for tonight's happy hour that you are sponsoring, Well Drive. Thank you so much for sponsoring. Absolutely. The South Texas Geological Society is also one that's very long. I think it's 1926. They're getting close to their 29. century mark then too. It's sometime in the next 10 years. That's awesome. Yes. So thank you for sponsoring tonight and making that possible. Tell me a quick elevator pitch while I pull up your LinkedIn. Who is Nathan Zanaro? What do you do? What do you tell someone when you're in an elevator for 20 seconds? What do you say? What I do is I help people make things better. And there's a lot of ways to do that. It's sometimes it's process, sometimes it's people, sometimes it's tools, sometimes it's, te- it's technology. We put them all together and we make things better. Nice. Nice to meet you. Um, this is my floor. <laughs> all right, Nathan, Nathan Zanero, uh, Zanero. Zanero, am I saying that yes, right? Yes, sir, that's it. Zanero. 
Uh, LinkedIn says this, improving safety, productivity, and quality of life wherever work is done. That's it. That's what you want everyone to see. Because you know when you're, you're commenting or you say something on LinkedIn, all you see is usually the name and then that thing that's yep. under your name in your profile. So yep. that's what you want people to see when you. That's are- it. You know, there's, and, and I really want to put that focus on where the work is done, right? There's awesome men and women who right now are swinging 12 pound sledgehammers, putting connections together on a frack job and they're racking back pipe and they're in the hot and they're in the cold and everything we do needs to make a change there, right? That that's all that matters. Wow, nice, man. Let me jump to your about, which is officially the shortest about section (laughs) I've ever read live on a PBE podcast. About recognized industry leader, pioneering, creative problem solver, process optimization specialist, quality control champion. That's it. Right on, man. And currently vice president of engineering at WellDrive. That's it. Yes, And WellDrive's right here in Houston. WellDrive's in Houston. Right on. Right on the 610 loop. Easy to get in and out. 610 loop. North side at TC Jester. Huh. No, I don't, yeah. I'm not familiar with that. I'm going to be at the Black Horse. I know that's kind of north, uh, up just east. Uh, Is just, that in the Heights? It's just west of the uh, the airport in the north. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's 20 minutes from us. Is that right? Yeah, not too far. Right on. Right on. Okay, let's do this. Let's jump from that to the quotes and quips with Nathan Zanaro. And guess what, man? I call I'm calling you out. You opened up the book. Let's do it. And you found page 55. You stepped away and I was like, couldn't help myself. <laughs> you saw the stay positive book, encouraging quotes and messages to fuel your life with positive energy. There you go. Yeah, man. It's a big thing. Energy is a really, really important thing to better understand. And uh a positive one is better than a negative one. So here we go. Page 55, this one really spoke to you. One person in pursuit of excellence raises the standards of everyone around them. And as they strive for greatness, they bring out the greatness in others. Be that one person today. Talk to me about it, man. What? Yeah, you know, I, I've always told everybody, I'd rather be John Stockton than Carl Malone. I think there are always on a team someone who has the capacity to lift others, to raise others. And, you know, John Stockton didn't have to score 30 points a game to change everyone he ever played in. And I think leaders and people who want to be leaders need to recognize that the the work that they do doesn't have to be what shines all the time. It can be letting others shine. It can be setting people up for success. It can be being that in the background. And that that positive spirit and positive attitude is is as infectious as a negative one. Yeah. Right? And so we need to be mindful of it. Arguably, the negative ones are even like more... They can be, for right? sure. Yeah. My experience is, I, I feel like they, they are. That negative energy is like a... Yeah, it's a you. See, I'm a positive person, so I have to believe that positive 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 is better. (laughs) Or at least is equal, right? At least is equal. Yeah, at least is equal. All right, I'll I'll give you that. Uh, (laughs) All right, I'm going to rock it back to page one on this thing. It says five ways to be more positive. Count your blessings. You can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. Two, 
See your challenges as opportunities for growth. Three, don't listen to your negative thoughts. Four, feed yourself with positive encouragement. And five, choose faith instead of fear. It's interesting. Don't listen to your negative thoughts. I, I want to I be careful about that one. Sometimes your, negative, your, your intuition is sometimes safety. It's, it's telling you you should. But your negative thoughts that are intrusive, your negative thoughts that uh, distract you from your mission, yeah, just set those aside. Right. Yeah. yeah there's some things that are clearly negative. And yeah. There's something... Like I don't feel safe walking to this dark alley. Might be a negative thought. Maybe you shouldn't walk into that dark alley. But you know, maybe tomorrow you install a light in that alley so you can walk it down it next time. <laughs> I like it. All right, last one, man. Then we'll get to the show. Three things you control every day are your attitude, your effort, and your actions. 100%. Okay. I would say your accountability. Add one more to that. Add an accountability. Right on. It doesn't matter what others are doing or who you think is being unfair. Every day, you can focus on being positive, working hard, and making others around you better. That's it. Right on, if I man. if I could do one thing in my career, it's the last statement there. I can, I can only live for so long, but if I can make others better, then I've lasted longer than my lifespan. Man, yeah, that goes back to Angelo, Angelo, your grandpa. yeah, Grandpa Angelo. Yep, that's a what a way to wrap it all together. <laughs> <laughs> Did that just sum up the whole show? Do Didn't we, it? Do we, even, so. do we even need to talk about the show? <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, man. I, I truly enjoyed getting to know you, uh, listening to you speak, and, and understanding your passions, understanding really your understanding of the data and understanding of WellDrive and understand, you know, your position at WellDrive, your experience that was super unique. Uh, was really close to not being possible at all unless you had that determination and that drive that you did to get yourself out of a hole in a small town and go to the University of Michigan, transfer to the Texas A&M, become an Aggie, you know, and get into oil and gas. And man, I mean, it must be amazing one day to sit down and listen to your wife talk about this story, you know, her perspective of what you did and where you come from. Does she come from the same small town? Same small town. No she lived way. Up two blocks away. No way. We started dating when she was 15, and uh, that was 25 <laughs> years ago. I just, sorry, I just uh, told you how old she is, but yeah, it's been a minute. Dude, isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, man. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing what two people pointing in the same direction can get done when they just keep going. Right. You know, on. and I couldn't have done it without her. Right. Not on. not even not even for a second. Wow. Man, right on. Yeah. I, I enjoyed a lot of things. I, I really am interested about well drive. I'm interested in learning more about uh, for me specifically, maybe a little bit more about how the workovers as they get done, how I can better organize that as a company yep. to help me sell assets that I'm putting together and fixing and optimizing. And right, I don't, I don't plan to operate wells for the rest of my life. I don't know if my kids want to do that. I'm not going to put that pressure on them. You know, I'll do it. I, I don't mind oil farming. That's what I call it. There you go. <laughs> I'm just an oil farmer, man. Like, that's it. That's, <laughs> it. that's a great way to say it. I love it. <laughs> uh, I enjoy it, you know, and they they enjoy getting out there and seeing the cows. And my daughter goes, are you making oil today? You know, like she's she's pumped. Like, Heck yeah. So it's cool, but I'm not going to put it on them. I'm not going to assume that, that they're just going to take over this thing. 
I want to know that I have a database and I, I have my ducks in a row as a company that I can say, you know what, maybe it's time to sell. And I don't need to take months or weeks or whatever it is to organize all that and get it, you know, WellDrive already has all that in. Yeah. Yep. And, and going back to that, that used car scenario, you get that one used car, it's got the owner's manual and 15 years of maintenance records and the discount tire rotation schedule. You, you look at that as a very different opportunity than the one that doesn't, right? And all things being equal, I think most people would choose the one that's got its ducks in a row. Thousand percent, man. Yeah. A thousand percent. It's it, this industry is not just get in, get get a bunch of money, get out. No, no, no. This is, industry is about longevity. This industry is about optimization and records. And it, it, I mean, it's been around for a hundred years, and it ain't going anywhere it ain't anytime going soon. Anywhere. No. So if you're not doing that kind of thing, or you have that PE model that you thought was going to just come in and drill a bunch of horizontal wells and bounce. You better have your data organized and ready to easily ex be accessible and explain what you have. And Show then for some reason, if you don't bounce and you're stuck with the mess you made, that's the worst one where you thought you were just going to dump that problem on somebody else and now it's yours and you're kicking yourself. Don't, don't get caught in that. Don't be that guy. Yeah, don't be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's a natural. Uh, welcome to the PBE Podcast, man. The conception segment of the PBE Podcast where we get to sit back and listen to Nathan's story. Introduce yourself real quick and then just tell us how it all goes, man. How do you end up as, you know, kind of this business development and growth manager of a company like WellDrive? Yeah. So, um, you know, that's my, my role there is actually vice president of engineering. Okay. But I think anybody that's in a role like that is also business development. If you work for a company that does sales, everyone sells, you know, that's rule number one. Yeah. Um, and, and really, you know, business development can mean a lot of things. Uh, it can mean new product development. It could mean new customer development. It could mean just being a, a thought leader for the company or for an, an industry or a segment. Um, and so I do all those things, right? Because it's what the job requires. Yeah. Well, so start us back. Rock it back, man. Where are you from? Where were you born? How does this go? <laughs> I was born in a town of a thousand people. No kidding. Uh, like a lot of people in the patch, you know, my beginnings were in farm country. Okay. Right. I think most everybody that's on a drilling rig today probably came from a farm at some point or, you know, lived near one. But my farm wasn't in Mississippi or in Texas. It was in Southeast Michigan. Right? Oh, wow. So we, we lived there. I didn't know what an oil well was till I was about 22. Wow. Um, and so I took a very long and circuitous route into yeah. the oil field started out as a carpenter i built houses for a long time and then uh but one of the things that i was always good at was just taking opportunity that was given to me and turning it into something man so you, you know from that small town i mean well if you want to go further back there were there were nine of us in a single wide trailer like the the story of coming up from nothing Wow. Right is is where we started. Right on. You know, we we lived like on, the eight on, mile. I mean, what do you mean by Southeast Michigan? I don't uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a big. It's a big place, but you know, uh, not eight mile. No, uh, it would have been forty mile. So, <laughs> and actually, the town, the the main road in my town would have been forty mile if they'd have 
kept the numbers moving. Is that right? Yeah. And a thousand um, people, and it was all farming. What kind of farming? Like, what had that town survive? There's a lot of orchards, a orchards. lot of uh, corn and soybeans, a lot of dairy cows. Wow. Um, and so, you know, we grew up, you know, we didn't buy vegetables from the store. You know, we just got them from the neighbor or from the roadside stand or wherever it may be. And so it was, you know, it was, wow. it was nice in, in that regard. Yeah. A lot of, uh, you know, thinking back and, and looking at it, you know, we were too young and too poor to know we were missing. So we were pretty much happy. Right. Right. Something um, you said for that. Yeah. And, you know, little, uh, our, our town had a one schoolhouse until 1992 and uh k through 12 all in one school how many kids you go to school with like what was your grade size then 64 was my graduating class 64 high school graduation class was 64 yeah yeah wow mine was a thousand yeah i mean i was always amazed i didn't know how people could have that many people in their in their class <laughs> well, the other you way know. the other side of the coin is i was always made when i drive through a town of a thousand people and think how what the hell how does, how does yeah, this all operate yeah. you, know? you know you drive slow because you'll get pulled over because they know you don't fit <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> they know everybody who lives there and and who doesn't <laughs> so there was a lot of that you know my family lived there for a few generations and you know, my shop teacher in high school was my dad's shop teacher in high school. Wow. My algebra teacher was his algebra teacher. And, you know, that that's good and bad. If, you're, if your parents were like, you know, upstanding members of the community with a good reputation, that was good for you. Yeah. Mine weren't necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> Rod tooth and claw, man. It is what it is. My shop teacher, first day of uh, class, he came up to me. He goes, I remember your dad. He goes, You'll never get a higher than a C in this class. Oh, damn. And I'm like, I'm going to prove you wrong, buddy. I got a B. Nah. But uh, I probably deserved an A, but, you know, I wasn't going to get it. <laughs> wow. Jeez, yeah. dude. Now, what did your parents do? Like, where are they? where's all that from? Where's your, your family history, like, coming out of? You know, my, my great-grandfather came to the U.S. in 1921. Okay. He was actually, uh, he fought in World War One. His name's Angelo. When my distillery opens, my premium line will be Angelo. Nice. That's um, a good one. So Angelo uh, fought in World War One, walked back from Germany to northern Italy where they lived. They didn't have a train for him, so they all his whole company had to walk from Germany to Italy. He got back, and he saw the rise of, uh, of Mussolini. Wow. And so he wrote a letter to the government saying, Mussolini's crazy. He's going to destroy the company and or the country, and, and I'll have no part of it. So the, the brown shirts showed up, and they, they whooped them pretty good a couple of times. He wrote another letter saying, you don't scare me. So they came back again. Geesh. And the third time, they threatened to kill his wife and children. And so he got on the first boat to the U.S. Wow. And so, so you that know, guy and, was like, the government's not changing. Yeah. I'm piping up saying we got problems. Yeah. They come whoop my ass because they they're I'm now a problem for them. Yeah, for yeah. saying it's there's a prayer. They're totally tall. yeah. And he realized that there's nothing he's gonna do. If anything, he's gonna get his whole family killed if he keeps yeah. popping off. Yeah, that's like cartel shit, right? It like was he, crazy. Yeah, you know, you and pop off the wrong people and you just get straight whacked. Yeah, yeah. So I I think if it was just him, you know, he was he didn't take shit from anybody yeah. my friends clearly can i cuss on the podcast yeah, absolutely uh yeah he didn't sh- take shit from anybody and but you know and 
I, I got to say in my life, I wondered where I got my disposition from. I didn't uh-huh. know this about Angelo until I was about 40. Is that and when right? I found out about Angelo, I was like, man, that <laughs> <all> makes sense. <laughs> my life makes so much more yeah. sense now. Yeah. Because I mean. That's freaking true, dude. Yeah. That is true. You learn about your history and you're like, whoa. All of a sudden it's like, I feel like almost you're carrying some of those people that you'd never even really met. Somehow yeah. you're carrying yeah. that those traits with you. You know, I, I read it, and it's ironic. I read a quote about a year ago. So I, I found out about Angelo and, and um, went to California, saw where he was buried, and just said, you know, I'm going to look back at life and just say, can I honor Angelo's memory? Because what he uh-huh. did, I don't know if I could have done it. Right? Am, I, am I that strong? I don't know. Maybe. But I'm going to try and be. And so um, that that's just the, the goal in life. And I read a quote a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, it says, you know, we spend too much time thinking about how people want to remember us, how we mm-hmm. want people to remember us, and not enough time thinking, are we worthy of being the memories of our of the ones that came before us, right? And so, over the last couple of years, you know, I, I've really I think about that a, a fair bit. You know, do yeah. I have I earned Angelo's respect? If he was alive, would he look at me and say, I'm a good man? Whoa, man, I yeah. feel it, dude. I feel yeah. it. I don't know if it's the whiskey or your story, man. I feel it. That's freaking <laughs> I'm only good. about a quarter shot. Of it. Come on. <laughs> that is good stuff, man. So you are a young man coming out of a small town. Mm-hmm. What was your first opportunity and where did you go? Uh, for jobs or yeah, for the patch? Like your first, like, I'm, I'm getting out of this town. I'm going and, and building a career, building a life. So... You know, I, I did construction for a while. It's a small town, not a lot to do. Um, recognize, you know, I enjoyed the work, but it's never going to be, you know, how I how I make a living. I didn't like having to take so many days off. You know, unpredictable paycheck. I took a job um, running some restaurants, did pretty well in that, and then the opportunity came up to uh, go to, go back to school. Right, I applied to the University of Michigan. I was twenty five years old at the time. This they, is the big yellow M school? Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. The university. Yeah. The university. The Wolverines. The Wolverines, man. And, and I'll tell you, that was like lifelong dream. I I, I wept the day I got my acceptance letter really? to, to Michigan. That's awesome. Because that's when I knew that doors would open, that I had wow. put in the work, Ooh. that all I had to do was not screw that up, which I wasn't going to. Mm-hmm. And after that, doors would open, right? What did you so, get accepted for? What was the degree or what was the path? I was civil engineering and architecture. Right But on. they rejected me four times. So I, I applied there and they, they actually told me that I was too old. I was 25. Excuse me. It's just got to... I was 25. And they, their response back to me was, you know, all your stuff looks good, but you're just too old. And I said, wait... <laughs> Is it even legal to say that? Yeah. And they said, well, it's our experience that if you're not in your age cohort, you're less likely to succeed. So I went to junior college. The University of Michigan. The University of Michigan said that. I just blew my mind. Yeah. I said, you know, but no doesn't mean no. It means not now. That's a mantra in life that I live by. No never means no. It means not now. There's a reason you're telling me no. If I can go back and fix it, if I can address it, if I can improve it, and I can come back to you, you'll say yes. I'll find a way to make that happen. Yeah. So went to junior college, and I had every professor at the end of every test 
write me a letter to the University of Michigan. Wow. And they all love me because I was showing up. I was crushing right. it, perfect grades, helping, right. you know, doing all the things you should do. They're like, hey, knocking on the head of the University of Michigan yeah. and missing out on So something. finally they got tired of getting my letters and they let me in. <laughs> Persistence, baby. Yeah, yeah. Right on. And so I went there, you know, and I'll tell you that it's a special place. There's a reason I wanted to go. I didn't realize how special it was till I got there. It's, it's like walking into Harvard. Huh. You know, it's, it's a public Ivy. They only accept like top 3% Whoa. of, of people, uh, you know, huge rejection rate. Whoa. And, you know, I finally walked into a place where I felt average if I'm, if I'm being honest, like, the level of brilliance of some of the people there was staggering to me. Other classmates you're talking about. Yeah. Professors. I, mean, I, I got, I got a guy who's at one of my best friends, you know, we were in physics one-on-one together. He's, you know, at the large Hadron Collider right now doing research. Wow. I got another guy who's uh, on the cybersecurity task force for like a couple of three letter agencies. These are the guys that I was like doing my math with. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, they're smarter than me and I know it. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Wow. These are, yeah. these are impressive people. Right on. Um, but what, what got me at the end of the day, I was in a dual master's degree program for civil engineering and architecture. It was supposed to take five years for both degrees. And, you know, I, I was the odd duck out. I was more, way more engineering focused than most of the other architecture students. Okay. Right. And so like, I had to work in art class. <laughs> Everybody else is just, you know, <laughs> yeah, they take the, and I, like I put in, I put in more time in, you know, line drawing 101 than I did in vector calculus, <laughs> right? And wow. my, but my professors, it was we have to do uh, demonstrate our art every week. We put it up on the board. Yeah, and it was funny because every week, you know, she'd go by and critique them, and then she'd right. pick three to talk about. Every week she picked mine, wow. and it was never. Be, and she'd always say. You know, the, the quality of this art, the quality of this is, is clearly, this isn't the best artist, but they're saying something. Yeah, man. And it, was, and it was just, I don't know. It was just weird. Um, and so I realized, you know, I talked to some people that had just gra graduated. They were inter interviewing with big firms in New York and Chicago. And I asked them kind of like, you know, what kind of offers are you getting? This is like 2006-ish. Okay. They're like, yeah, forty to sixty thousand a year to start, and I was like, damn, Jeez. I was making more money than that before I quit to go yeah. to college. And so, three days after I talked to this guy, <laughs> uh, it, I, I did the Google. I said, you know, when is the when is the spring break for Texas A and M? It was not the same week as the spring break for the University of Michigan. Okay, so I got on a plane on my spring break, flew to <laughs> flew to Texas. Sat through a week of Reservoir Petrophysics with Tom Blasingame and sat through a couple of their courses and said, all right, I can transfer this. Went up and talked to the admissions department, you know, kind of got the uh, the thumbs up. Like, hey, yeah, you know, you apply, you'll probably get accepted. And, you know, we'd like to have you here, all of this. Went back home, secured my U-Haul truck for when the semester was over. Holy shit. Uh, at the time, I was still married to the same woman. Uh, so my wife and I, we packed up our truck, and we drove to Texas, got an apartment in Bryan, uh, just outside of College Station. And two weeks later, I got my acceptance letter <laughs> to a Wow. <laughs> With more than 35 years of experience in the industry, 
Impact Exploration Services has you covered for all your mud logging, geosteering, and geoscience service needs. Impact Exploration Services covers every basin in the lower 48 and can customize the services to your needs. Impact Exploration Services sets the professional standard. And the next time you have problems to solve and questions to answer, think Impact Exploration Services. This episode is brought to you by Trunkline. You probably know Trunkline as the company that makes the legendary oil field horizontal drilling socks. And it's true, our drill baby drill socks featuring a heel to toe wellbore are 100% American made and are designed right in the heart of the oil and gas industry. But did you know that Trunkline is also a revolutionary digital marketing tool that can transform the way you advertise your oil field services? You can showcase your company's project track record on Trunkline and our automated platform will boost your exposure through social media, email marketing, SEO, and more. Now, whenever one of your new customers asks you, can you show me an example of your work? You can simply turn them to your Trunkline portfolio. It's more effective than a brochure, it's less expensive than sponsoring a whole other golf course, and easier than maintaining your website. Join more than 200 service companies on Trunkline by signing up at register.trunkline.com today. Let's go. And so switched up mid, you know, midstream. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. From right. civil engineering to petroleum engineering. Holy cow, what a crazy story that is. I mean, that that could have been easily some failure in there of just the paperwork dropped, the you just missed it. You didn't get you didn't get accepted. Like, I mean, the commitment to know that that vision you had was gonna come true is that's something to speak of. And your wife obviously was in support of this. Yeah, yeah. That's huge. It was hard for her to move from her family. That's the biggest difficulty and all of that did you have um, kids at the time no no okay we, we so waited. that helped yeah if there were kids involved i don't think that would have been possible that would have been a different life for sure yeah um Man. you know that's a whole nother you know topic we can discuss later but yeah it was just the two of us and we decided we're going to bet on ourselves you know we're in this together you know a couple of wolverines man just let's go that's it that's it let her rip shredded <laughs> through the aggie program yeah, you know, I, I did okay. Graduated in, you know, top 20% of my class. Nice. Um, you know, learned a ton, gave a lot back. and uh, But I, I picked a and I, I could have went pretty much, you can transfer from the University of Michigan to almost anywhere. And my GPA would have allowed that. So, But I, I picked A&M for the Aggie Network. Yeah. I picked A&M because, you know, uh, Ann Arbor is nice, but I felt like College Station shared my values more. Huh. And I really did want to be in a in an environment that was more conducive to how I wanted to express myself and live my life. Interesting. Um, and so, yeah, spent three years there and got it done. Damn. Petroleum engineering degree under yep. your belt now. It's from the like, be- and I'm just going to say it, from the best program on the planet. Oh, all right. oh man, <laughs> dropping Aggie bombs. All, all the T-SIPs, all the two percenters, you know, like at, at the University of Texas, Austin. <laughs> Uh, I'm, it's the best program in the world, and I'll stand by that seven days a week. We'll go toe-to-toe. I'm going to bring a UT uh, petroleum engineer, man. We're going to go toe-to-toe. We'll have, a, we'll have a, like a, you know, questions and a trivia game. Let's see who, who, who takes the crown. There you go. And what's funny, though, you know, I, I don't 
because I came from Michigan, I you know I, I have a, a lot of loyalty there, a lot of loyalty to A and M. But I've worked with universities a fair bit since I've got out of school, and the vast majority of it's been with UT. Is that right? <laughs> it's just how it's shaken out. Yeah, yeah. Man, right on. Okay, so what happens? You get your degree. Have you already done internships while you're getting your degrees? Yeah, yeah, I did a How'd few. How'd those go? Um, they were good. I did one with Diamond Offshore, which was the hottest hell of my life. You know, I just I just moved to Texas. I'm a Michigan boy. I like the cold weather. You know, I don't mind being outside and working outside. Yeah. But, you know, 100 degrees with all that humidity in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico – Oh man, I I don't look forward to that again. Um, so did that, and I worked for a company called Rosetta Resources, which Rosetta Rosetta Resources. They used to be it was Calpine, that was a California company. They spun off the oil and gas part, that became Rosetta Resources. Uh, I think they got bought by Burlington, if I'm trying to hmm. remember correctly, but. You know, they they just picked up a bunch of assets. They high graded them. They sold it off to a bigger company. Typical, kind of. You know. So they, they they pulled you in as an intern to to. What were you doing? Like, what was I, anything they asked me to do? So I did a lot of I did a study on um, spill prevention, control, and countermeasures for them because huh. uh, they were having a big problem with that in California uh, and changing laws in Texas around containment. So, you know, audited a thousand sites over the summer, worked with the, and I worked with a pumper, you know, strap tanks and did all that, just getting my feet wet. And then on the digital side, putting together a database of that so they could track it. Wow. Um, That's cool. And then give that over to their IT folks and say, okay, I made you a tool. It may be crude because I'm just, you know, a summer intern, but it gives you a place to start. Nice. And and they had a really great mentor there. um, John Rosada. If he listens to this podcast, John, you're a good man. And I probably talked to him for, oh, man, I'll probably talk to him next week. You know, I've I've kept in touch with him now for 13 years. Um, Everywhere I've been, there's been a good mentor that I still talk to. I think that's really special. You know, a lot of people go from company to company, just has hired guns. Right. uh, And that's not how I want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a a different mindset, I guess. And, and yeah, I, I can understand the uh, the differences between someone like that, but you really grab onto people and you you build relationships. You you know it's important to you. It's, yeah, yeah. So you get done with the school, and what's your first job coming out of school? So I worked for Devon. I did some work for them in uh, deep water front end engineering and design. Huh. So from sand face to separator, I was doing flow assurance for wells that were going to be drilled in about seven thousand feet of water. So did that. That was a ton of fun. Uh, it made me just realize how much I loved engineering, like the hard engineering, like spend spend your time, do it right, double check it, come up with a new way of doing. Measure twice, cut once. Uh, measure 85 times. <laughs> yeah. You, you know. drilled, or you helped uh, put together platforms and drill programs that went through 7,000 feet of water that before was, it hit the ocean floor? So I was doing front-end engineering and design. So the, the drilling team was a different team. Yeah. Um, I was looking at optimizing the, the flow from the sand face, making sure that you know everything was properly sized in terms of pumps, making sure that we selected the right size of casing. When you say the sand phase, you're talking about drilling? The drill- reservoir at the... 
In, under, yeah. Oh, after you get through the ocean floor muck and mud. Yeah, so wherever you end up perforating, right, there's that interface between casing and sand. I see. And the shale face, the sand face, you know, they just call it the sand face. It's kind of a term of art okay. uh, in the industry. But from, from the perforations, essentially, and, and maybe whatever completion they have that goes into that, yep. uh, they were just using simple completions, gravel packs and, you know, things like that. So we weren't fracking and having to model that. We just used tank models with perforations as, wow. as our is our inflow. Yeah. And my job was to make sure that for different potential scenarios, you know, uh, where they were going to put the wells on wellheads on the seafloor, where that, how they were going to tie them back that we didn't have hydrates come out. Crazy. We didn't have paraffins and asphaltine issues and <laughs> that we sized separators correctly. Wow. So yeah. And these, these wells wouldn't have been drilled for like five years. Gee. Yeah, it's a really long planning cycle for, that level of effort. Devin just all in on that stuff, huh? Well, and then they sold it. So, the, <laughs> so, so you can go back and watch the interview of Larry Nichols, who was the CEO of, of Devin at the time, being interviewed by the crazy guy on CNBC. What's his name? <laughs> Kramer. Kramer. The guy who got everything wrong about every bank in the last <laughs> two weeks. Anyway, he's interviewing Larry Nichols and, um, the previous day, Devin had sold for cash, I think it was something along the lines of $10 billion, the assets that I was doing the, the feed work for. Uh, that was kind of a bummer because I really wanted to do that. Yeah. And I, I'm built for that. You know, if I was going to be an engineer, like in that my full-time job, sign me up, give me the hard stuff. Um, but they sold it. 10 billion in cash. They had had a few mishaps before that. They tried to drill some wells, uh, in the shelf in the Mississippi Canyon, Gulf of Mexico. Uh, they drilled two dry holes in a row at $125 million each. Wow. And so they said, you know, we've got these assets. They have value. Let's cut our losses. They sold it to BP. Can you guess what happened the next day? Oh no, is that the famous Macondo? No shit. So if and if you want to see the definition of a shit eating grin, it's Larry Nichols on the Kramer show realizing that he is the luckiest man alive because he just pawned off ten billion dollars of assets that BP's not gonna be able to produce for fifteen years. What the Yeah. And so Devin took that and became, you know, a juggernaut in other places, but yeah. Wow. That was interesting. So you stayed with Devin for how much longer? For for a little bit. Um, you know, didn't have necessarily a, a place there after that, and that's okay. Uh then I went and worked for uh neighbors drilling. Neighbors drilling. So they have a subsidiary called Canrig, and I showed up there and huh. they had they had a lot of things going on. They weren't exactly sure how they were gonna use me, but they knew, you know, the talented engineer we can find a place for him and i was in need of somewhere to go and uh we were working a project with shell uh shell had donated some technology essentially to neighbors they'd also kind of in a way donated it to all of their competitors so bentech got it hmm. neighbors got it a few other companies what was got this? it uh, technology is called soft torque uh, and it's designed or it's intended to um dampen drill string vibrations that are torsional so stick slip it's it's supposed to like prevent or mitigate stick slip in drilling and uh neighbors just couldn't get it working right shell was very upset with them 
and uh, I'll, you know, this is these are career defining moments that I had at at, at Canrig. Uh, a gentleman came in from Shell named Tim Weimers. Tim. Tim's also one of those guys that I think is just wonderful man. Uh, I haven't got to talk to him a whole lot or work with him since then, but yeah. I have a ton of respect for him. And I was wearing my uh, my Pi Epsilon Tau T-shirt. That's the Petroleum Engineering Society, or not T-shirt, but polo. And and Tim was a little frustrated. He was, you know, kind of giving it to the other folks at at neighbors. And he looked at me and he goes, "You're new here. What, what are you doing?" I said, oh. "Well, I said I'm new here, so I'm just listening to what your problem is. Right. But I'm new here, so what I'm going to do is when I leave this room, I'm going to go fix that problem for you." And he looked at the little symbol on my shirt. He goes, I was in that. I was in that honor society. I believe you. Wow, man. And so How I, cool is that? So I just walked out of the room. I'd been there like six weeks, and I said, okay, that's what I'm going to go do. <laughs> yeah, you All just right? committed to that. <laughs> so I, I didn't – and this was not a problem. It's not a petroleum engineering problem. Okay. This was an, a, a control system problem. This was an electri- electrical engineering problem. Jeez. And I'll tell you, I got, I got one – one sub Nathan standard grade in college and it was electrical engineering <laughs> was not my favorite, but I made a promise. So yeah. I went and learned how it worked. I went and, you know, looked at how everything was manufactured, how everything was done, took Jeez. a ton of notes. And I said, I figured out the problem and I wrote some procedures for it. It's, it's where I learned how to write standard procedures, how to do standard work, really dove into, um, you know, application of Lean Six Sigma. I, I had a background in that before, but this is where I could apply it in the oil field. Uh, wrote wrote a really beautiful report on it, and uh, ended up showing it to Shell. And uh, I'll I'll tell you about that story a little bit later too, because it's a fun one. It's a people story. Um, and then Shell said, "Okay, this is great. We we now know what the problem is. Now just go do it." And so before I showed up, they had like two or three of these systems around the world that were actually running and, and doing what they were supposed to do. And mm-hmm. they couldn't figure out why the rest weren't working. And I figured it out, got a procedure in place. And within six months, we had a hundred of them running. No kidding. Completely transformed Dude. the business. Dude. And uh, Shell was happy. Shell threw us a party. Is that right? Yeah, was it called the party. Nathan party? No, no. It, it the, should have been called the Nathan party. <laughs> it was the shirt party. <laughs> Shell has a thing where like, if you complete a project and, and do a good job, you get a t-shirt. <laughs> and it's the most petty thing, but it's a t-shirt you get to wear around. Yeah. And you show up to work in that t-shirt and that's like, that's better than gold. Because everybody knows you're a stud and you got it done. Damn. So Shell showed up and gave us shirts. And that was the that was a big deal. That was a big deal. Neighbors shirts. No, Neighbor. they were they were shell shirts. Shell shirts. But did it talk about neighbors like being like or how did who would they give the credit to? Where was well, the credit given? For so uh, thankfully, uh, there was an, there's another good man, uh, Mark Anderson. He was uh, I don't know if he was a director or a VP. I don't remember exactly what his title was at the time, uh, but he was. He's known in the industry as the godfather of drilling automation. Whoa. He's the man. Right? Got to get him on the podcast, man. You should. <laughs> yeah, he was on the Gibson podcast a while back. Ah, oh, then he's got to do mine. He's if he does his, on. he's got to do mine. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so you know, Mark let Canrig know like this is a success because of Nathan. And I was I'm eternally grateful for that. Um, and yeah, so it came down to that. But there was other people who put in a lot of work. No one's a 
a one-man show but you know that's one where i was i was swimming upstream pretty hard (laughs) because it was not it it wasn't going well and it was for reasons that they didn't want to disclose and you know i had to just be on a super honest shell and once that once we broke that barrier of honesty and trust and had a solution we were off to the races, yeah. right? And Jeez. in terms of that particular technology, we were ahead of the rest of the industry by by 18 months Jeez. real fast. Right uh, on, yeah. man. So tell me more about this uh, this breakthrough, this team exercise. What were you going to say about this Shell experience? You said, I'll tell you a little bit. Oh, later. fair enough. So, um, you know, I, I'm not a conventional kind of guy. I ask a lot of questions. I challenge things, and sometimes it, that means you challenge authority. Sometimes it's challenging an accepted best practice. Sometimes it's challenging things that you've done in the past. You always have to be willing to just ask the question. Yeah. And so I'll never forget. So the, the problem with soft work was the control system expected certain properties of the physical system. Right, so I had to know the inertia of the rotating equipment, and the biggest rotating equipment is the top drive itself. Wow! I had to know the inertia of that. I had to know how the torque provided to turn that inertia, like the acceleration and deceleration of that. Jeez! And so when we started looking at what we were using as the inertia of that, we were using CAD drawing values. And I said, that's that's fine, but I know how things are manufactured. I, I actually worked in the manufacturing industry for for a while, and that's where I got my intro, like hands-on introduction to to lean and to Six Sigma and to just things like that. And I said, I, I know things are drawn one way and I know they're manufactured another. Oh shit. So I said, that's the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna not use <laughs> what's drawn. What's drawn, we're gonna go measure this. Wow. Right? And then uh, the same thing for the torque that's applied, right? We were using specifications from the manufacturer of the variable frequency drive system, which were not what we were seeing in the real world. Uh, And even for systems that were technically like interchangeable, same variable frequency drive, same top drive, same interchangeable everything, we were measuring very large variances in inertia and in acceleration and deceleration. And so that didn't make sense. Right. And so I said, I don't care if it makes sense. It's real. And so we started putting those numbers back into the software control system and all of a sudden it worked. It worked beautifully. Mm. Right. So I said, all right, let's, let's go and do this for every single combination of variable frequency drive and top drive. The numbers varied widely. And, you know, the folks at Neighbors were concerned, and reasonably so. They were concerned that Shell would look at them as a bad manufacturer. Yeah. Hey, if we say it should be this and it's not this, right. is it because we're a bad manufacturer? Right. Not, not the case. Well, maybe in some ways they're buying a lot of stuff from China. Then you, you know, get what you get. Right. Um, in some ways it was because of just the real world. Right. You know, imagine your, your car starts up and it's 20 degrees or cold. Uh, your oil's pretty thick. Yep. If you were to measure like the actual horsepower getting to your wheels in those first 20 minutes, it's probably less until everything warms up. Okay. 
<laughs> there you go. We were seeing stuff like right. that. We were seeing some systems that were old. They had gears in those top drives that had been in service for 10 years. And so the mesh in those gears was not the mesh that oh, came out shit. of the factory. What the um, hell, dude. We just saw bad measurements, you know, like. It's just straight up wrong. Or the even some of the systems that were designed to measure couldn't measure to the accuracy that they thought. And that's okay, right? Just accept that. It's, it's a fact of life. You can deal with it as long as you know it. Um, and so I put this report together, and my vice president at the time said, I don't want you bringing Shell here and telling him that. <laughs> I said, okay. So the, What's the, plan? the challenger in my mind said, well, he said, there's a qualifier there. Don't bring them here. <laughs> so I there. called Tim up and this was a, this is like chain changing moment in my life. I said, Tim, I need you to meet me at La Madeline. Come and let me buy you a cup of coffee. Wow. And so I I'm explaining all this to Tim. Tim is so happy, so thrilled to finally know. And I and I told him I said I've designed the process to fix it. I've tested the process. We're good to go. Yeah. You know, like I want you to know this. Uh, and we're about 45 minutes into our hour long meeting and I got a call from my VP. He said, Nathan, where are you? Where are you? Yeah. And got your car. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm out to coffee with Tim. And he goes, are you telling him what I think you're telling him? And I said, yes, yes, I am. He's like, I want you in my office right now. And it was a good, uh, 10, 15 minute drive back to the office. Yeah. And in that 10-minute, 15-minute interval, Tim called up my boss and basically said, Nathan did the right thing. You better not do anything to him about this. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, he saved the project. Yeah. I didn't know any of this. I walked in. Sure, I'm like, you're ready I'm, to get fired. I'm ready to get fired. <laughs> um, so I, I walked in, and not only was my boss in his office, but the CEO was in his office. And I'm like, oh, I'm definitely getting fired. <laughs> Asks me again you know, what I did. And I told him, and he was, why'd you do it? And I told him why I did it. And the CEO is just sitting there kind of nodding his head. And he goes, all right. Um, With more than 35 years of experience in the industry, Impact Exploration Services has you covered for all your mud logging, geosteering, and geoscience service needs. Impact Exploration Services covers every basin in the lower 48 and can customize the services to your needs. Impact Exploration Services sets the professional standard. And the next time you have problems to solve and questions to answer, think Impact Exploration Services. This episode is brought to you by Trunkline. You probably know Trunkline as the company that makes the legendary oil field horizontal drilling socks. And it's true. Our drill baby drill socks featuring a heel to toe wellbore are 100% American made and are designed right in the heart of the oil and gas industry. But did you know that Trunkline is also a revolutionary digital marketing tool that can transform the way you advertise your oil field services? You can showcase your company's project track record on Trunkline and our automated platform will boost your exposure through social media, email marketing, SEO, and more. Now, whenever one of your new customers asks you, 
Can you show me an example of your work? You can simply turn them to your trunk line portfolio. It's more effective than a brochure, it's less expensive than sponsoring a whole other golf course, and easier than maintaining your website. Join more than 200 service companies on Trunkline by signing up at register.trunkline.com today. Let's go. I'm not happy that, that you did that, but uh, I want you to know that we're, we're giving you a promotion. You're going to be the product line manager for that from now on, and you better make it work. I was like, yeah. well, that was pretty good feeling that, that day. Awesome, um, and, and we did. We got it working. We did all the things we said we were going to do. Customer was super happy. At the end of it, we got the shirts. Uh, you know, and it, but it gave me that, that confidence in my career to, to know. It, that was, my, an, that was my Angelo moment. You know, nice, going back yeah. to the beginning of yeah. what we were talking about. That was the day I said, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing, and it might cost me something, but I'm willing to do it. Yeah. And, Jeez, uh, man. Yeah, that was, that was uh, yeah, amazing, man. That's a great story. It's a really good story. Yeah, yeah. And I would do it again, you know, even if yeah. I didn't know the outcome. Uh, and, and I've done a few of those things in my career where you bet on doing right, you bet on yourself. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it might not work out. But more often than not, it will, and uh, that's just how you got to make it go forward. Yeah, I know not. That's not how everybody's cut, and and not right. everybody should behave that way. Not everybody can. Right, we'd probably be a, a hot mess of an industry in a world if everybody. If everybody acted that was way. doing that. Yeah, but there has to be some that are willing to do it. Um, what, what what do you think it was that gave you the the confidence to make that decision? I know that I can land on my feet. And if I got to dig myself out of a hole, I can do it. I started life in a hole and it got deeper and deeper and I dug myself out and I dug myself out and I dug myself out. There's nothing I can't dig myself out of. And so if, if, uh, but you know, lying, not doing the right thing, that's just digging a hole deeper. Yeah. I don't want that. Right. I don't want to have, I don't want to have to figure that one out. I'd rather just be head on straight with it. Yeah. And, and go do the right thing. How about that that specific project, that specific time? Like, was it something in that you just knew, like you had so much confidence in the fact that you did figure it out, that you knew what was going on, that you knew it was achievable to fix this situation? Like you, you got to some level of assurance going through and figuring out all those different things that you knew that, you know, this is it. It is what it is. Right at some point. Yeah, you know, I I knew that I had solved the problem, uh, and and I was probably uniquely qualified to solve it. I, I have, like I said, I have experience in manufacturing. Um, growing up near Detroit, everybody works in a tool and die shop or something. It kind of like permeates everything you do. And I'd worked in some manufacturing jobs in the past, so I knew that I understood that very well. I could communicate it. I could talk to the manufacturing arm of Canrig in a way that a lot of people just couldn't. Hmm. And I could translate that back into what the, the drillers wanted. Um, I, that job, I didn't think it was ever going to be that kind of a fit ended up being a really good fit and for that purpose. Hmm. So I, I knew that I had my butt covered on process. Yeah, I knew that I had the customer's ear uh, and that if I, probably if I got fired, Shell would have hired me. Yeah. You know, there was a a reasonable chance of that. Um, But, you know, I'll say, even if, even if, even if I didn't think Shell was going to hire me, I had no backup plan. I had none. Yeah. And, and 
but I didn't need one. Yeah. I knew that, you know, if I got fired, I'd figure it out. And I didn't have kids at the time, so yeah. I could take that risk. Yeah. Uh, if I had kids, I don't know. I know I'd have took the same risk because I've done it recently. I've done sort of that sort of thing recently. Um, wow. You know, I, I want to be able to look at my kids and I want to be able to say to them that I did the right thing. When they ask me why I did what I did, I can defend it. You know, I, I owe it yeah. to them. Right on, yeah. man. That's a, that's, that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal because yeah. your kids yeah. are going to carry that on. Yeah, and I don't want them ever finding out from somebody else that I did something weird like that. Yeah. And, you know, no, I, I've earned every dollar through through honest dealing. I've been straight. I'm as, I'm as honest with my coworkers as I am with my children. Like, that's got to permeate. And, you know, you can't put on that face when you go to work or else you're just lying to yourself. So quickly get us into the transition because I'm kind of ready for the drill down. I want to get into well drive. I want to get into what you're doing. Yeah. I want to get into well drive. You're, you've done this now. You're at Neighbors. What happens between Neighbors and kind of well drives? How, how does your career get get to this? Yeah, yeah so it all, it all builds on itself. Um, I worked at Chesapeake Energy for a while. I nice. was a drilling engineer. Did you ever meet Aubrey McClendon? Uh, not like one-on-one. I was in you know a lot of meetings with him. I will say, though, um, have you ever been in a room with someone who has surreal charisma? You oh, don't yeah. understand how it <laughs> oh, happens. Yeah. The golden you tongue, know, some might call it. I, I've heard people say Donald Trump has that. Bill Clinton had that. You know, like they just, you don't even know why, but everyone in the room is looking at them. And he, you could have not known his name. But when he walked in the room, the way he carried himself, the way he talked, interacted with people, he was on another level, right? And he's very missed. Oklahoma City misses him. Um, but, you know, at the time, uh, Chesapeake was running 172 drilling rigs. What? Just Chesapeake. What? It was, it was a, a show, to say the least, right? The common, what? the running joke internally was, just make sure you get the right well name on the drilling prog. <laughs> <laughs> right? And it was, uh, I, I couldn't comprehend it, right? Because I'm an engineer. I want to do rigorous due diligence planning i minimize risk can't all keep the up with that right you know and uh, so the the corporate ethos there was we're going to have some blowouts it's cost into a business you know like there's a certain level of of risk that we're willing to let that permeate through because it's we need to we got to yeah. keep this level of business um i thought differently clearly um they were running a real-time operating center that was monitoring 148 of those rigs at one point it was impressive in its scope, but I learned, I had this opportunity to learn more about how data ha- flows through an operation like that than most people could get in a lifetime. In two years, I learned more about all that stuff than, and, and saw it and saw it worked and tried new things. And, you know, because they were, didn't have the rigor, I could try new things all the time, hmm. you know, so I did take advantage of that. Uh, and that led to a lot of personal growth, professional growth, some new standards that the whole industry has adopted that I developed there have, have, have gone out and become something more and something special. Um, and then, you know, they laid off 50% of their workforce in one day. You know, uh, was that 2015? Um, and then I did some independent stuff for a while. I, I did some work for the federal government, kind of consulting. Mm. Uh, you can go look up some stuff I that's got my name on it in the Federal Register around 
best practices for real-time monitoring of offshore well construction. Whoa, so nice. I wrote that for, for, for Bessie or whatever they're called now. Bohm, um, maybe? Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement. Bessie. Um, it's Bessie, Boehm, that's all. Yeah, well, whatever they're yeah. called. I, I don't keep up with it. <laughs> um, so so at, at Chesapeake, I got into uh, standards writing, into really, really in-depth understanding of the mechanics of data. Not, not just an, from an IT perspective, but like how data is used in the real world. Hmm. in really meaningful ways. And I became an expert uh, in sensor data quality. I became an expert in like, you know, how to raise the tide for all boats. Um, founded a group called the Operators Group for Data Quality, which is still going nice. to this day. Uh, you know, everybody gets together and they talk about standards and practices. Nice. The API, American Petroleum Institute, is publishing some of the standards I wrote at Chesapeake as wow. recommended practices for the whole industry. Wow. Um, so you're you know, with the PPDM, what's it called? Yeah, I'm, I'm very well, uh, you know, that, that was created before my time. Uh, and we're going to, one of the things well drive is going to do is radically improve it. Nice. Yeah. It needs some love. And so we're going to kind of show everyone how that can happen. Great. Um, we were in talks with several operators and drilling contractors to put together like actual mechanisms where I can give them improvements to it. They can use it to improve their business and I can get paid to do it. Nice. Uh, Cause it's hard, you know, we're a small company. I do it for free if I could, but we're right. just too small to do that. Yeah. Yeah. The PPDM was cool, man. I always went to those luncheons in West Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so then I went to work for a company called Teradata. Teradata. Yeah. They're a, uh, Big data before it was big data, right? Mm. Um, databases that are like in the petabyte size and bigger. Wow. You know, like everything that runs Verizon, everything that runs T-Mobile, United Airlines, 80% of all the big banks in the world. Uh, you know, they used to run the Netflix recommendation stuff, like like oh, massive scale oh, stuff. That's crazy to um, think about. And so I, I went there and just learned about the mechanics of data from the IT side, uh, but also always keeping like one foot in the real world, you know? Yeah, I get that. That would be a really important thing to do and like check yourself mentally when you get into that kind of data and you get into that kind of thinking, you can easily check out from reality. Uh, the, the data will almost always lead you to things that aren't true. Wow. Right. And you can usually ask a simple question that, if you have any level of subject matter expertise in a domain and you'll be like, yeah, you didn't do your data science right because it gave an answer that I know to be untrue. Wow. Um, and that's where I think, you know, from my perspective, a lot of the people who uh, sell data and data services, they don't want to admit that. And it's, it's caused way more failures and it's really at the end of the day, it's, hurt their business long-term hmm. because you're you talking know, about things like Python and things like that kind of strap onto a database really easily and start doing all this compartmentalization just kind of f freely or whatever. Are you, are you hinting to that kind of technology? No. Well, I mean, uh, Python's a tool. Um, most databases and the things that you use against the database are separate. Teradata was different in that regard. They kind of mixed the analytics tools with the database partly because they were 
explicitly parallel in their architecture. So um, they needed to do that because let's say I write a script in Python today and I write it against the database. That's just going to go and do step by step by step until it's done. Yeah. Uh, some database architectures say, no, we'll split that up into a hundred or a thousand or a million pieces of hardware and do it in pieces and it'll come back a thousand times faster. Right. Hmm. So, uh, there's different tools for different databases, but what I really mean is, uh, I'll give you an example. At, at Chesapeake, we had a company come in called Ayazdi. And I'll, I'll, I'll frame this by saying Ayazdi did an amazing job, but they were set up to fail. Mm. So the, the geosciences department at Chesapeake gave Ayazdi access to basically any data that they wanted. Wow. And they said, we want you to answer one question. Where should we drill our next best well? Oh, yeah. And baby. so they used their tool, and their approach to the data science was solid. I I didn't get exposed to this project until they were delivering the final results. They're, they went through their process. It was, it was a robust process. It was scientific in its nature. They, they did a lot of – they did all the right things. They honestly did. And their final result was you should drill your next best well where you have your highest permeability. Mm. which is a true and correct answer, but it's also the most useless one because you already know that and you've already drilled your core acreage, right? And I, I took them aside and I said, I'm really sorry that I wasn't involved in this sooner because your answer is correct, but it's embarrassing because if somebody would have helped you, you would have never showed that slide, Right. And the number of times I've seen data science projects come back with an answer like that, mm. where they'll come back and they'll say something that is like so obvious to anyone with any knowledge of an industry, or they'll come back with something that is like so far off the reservation right. of possible answers, but the data supports it. Yeah. That there's a real stain on the companies that are trying to sell in that way because they've come in and just done silly things. Wow. Sure. Yeah. Man, cool. Okay, so Chesapeake after uh, after that. Now what? Now what's what's after Chesapeake? So Chesapeake then was like my own stuff for a little while. Okay. Did some did some really good work for the for the government for some other people. Um, you know, just bounced around, kind of the lone assassin for a yeah. little bit. Uh, then got picked up by Teradata, uh, and that's I, right. That was a that was a great gig. I tell you, uh, really great gig. One I thought I could spend 20 years at, to be wow. honest. And uh, it didn't work out for lots of reasons that I won't bring up on the show. Um, but when that was over, you know, the guys at WellDrive said, would you consider something here? And I said, well, what doing what? What's, what is your plan? Like if, if I said I wanted to do X, would that scare you? If I said I see this as your future, can you imagine that? Yeah, wow. Right? Wow. Because um, I wasn't going to come over to WellDrive and just, you know, be stuck with a small company that didn't have a plan to grow or wasn't yeah. willing to consider an int other interesting things. That What was your take on WellDrive? How did you even get familiar with them? How did you know about them? I, I bumped into them at a trade show, and then we just started talking. At first, we thought they might be a candidate to be a partner for Teradata. Okay. And that they could use that platform to expand their own, um, which ironically is probably going to be the case now nice. that I'm here. Uh, even though, you know, 
I have my own thoughts about Charity as a company. I think their technology is good. Uh, and so we, we went back and forth, and you know, Derek, the president of the company, really didn't see it, uh, how it could all come to be. Uh, and that's fine, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's got his own perspectives and, and mm-hmm. background that, that leads him to think that. Uh, and so we talked to him a fair bit, and then they, they found that I was on the market, and we just chatted about it. Uh, what's funny is we, we chatted, the first chats were me just, you know, them vetting me, me vetting them. And it's, it's really to say, you know, as a small company, can you accept a challenger like me? Can you accept someone who's going to come in and ask hard questions? And if no, that's okay. I won't hold it against you. But if I come here, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it day one, and I'm going to do it every day. And so you have to be willing to accept that. Yeah. It, it, I can't not, right? And then then we talked about um, team fit. You know, like technically yeah, I can do the job, but I won't do it if I don't fit on the team. Mm-hmm. And so I met everybody. I met almost every single person that works for the company before I started. Uh, I've been in a lot of places where I had a great role, but didn't have a great team. Mm. And I would sweep floors with a good team before I became CEO of a bad team. Wow. Right? Yeah. And so we talked about that. That was the thing we talked about the most. You know, can can we be a team here? Can we all, can we do this? Kind of what's your, what's your culture? What was it now? What do you want it to be in the future? You know, kind of what are your core values? That was really, really important to me. And that's, I think, where we fit the best, really. With Terra, say it again, Terra. Terra Data. Data. Terra Data and WellDrive, what did you, what was it that you saw just fundamentally? What were the services that you saw that WellDrive had or it was going versus Terra Data? What, what was that? So Terra Data sells a platform. Teradata says, here's a big stack of technology that has it's infinitely configurable and you can do whatever you want. Oh, wow. And your, but your IT department has to run it because it's a big behemoth, right? <laughs> it runs all the biggest companies in the world. And so we can't tell you exactly how to use it, but we know that you can use it. So it's a really hard conversation to have, really hard thing to sell. WellDrive has a different conversation they say we have a thing that we can turn on for you tomorrow that generates value that other customers use this is exactly how they use it this is how we use it for you it's a very easy conversation to have and where they're weak is to say well if i want to scale this up times a million can i do that mm-hmm. and today no in six months maybe we're getting we're building out some some stuff that i think will surprise people so that was really the difference right when i was at teradata i told them I can't walk in and sell this. This is a five-year sales cycle, right? If you want me to sell this, and, and, and I'll say this like in a, an example, um, you know, BP bought a competitor to us uh, platform called Palantir, right? That that was a sale that was made in a way that would surprise you, right? Mm. Uh, it was made at a relationship that, like, you know, a former high-level government official in the Bush administration went to talk to BP to sell them this platform. Teradata wasn't going to be investing in that kind of sales, right? So for us to sell, we'd have to go to IT and get involved in a three-year bidding cycle. And, you know, it's just, it's it's a different sale. Wow. I can walk into a customer today and say, here's what I can do for you right now. And if you give me $100 a day with like no long-term commit, I can start doing that for you. And they, they'll sign that 
Yeah. You know, in a week. Yeah. Nice, man. All right. We are in the drill down segment. And what we specifically want to drive into is the drill down and the understanding of exactly what well drive is. Just like if, if someone was to go to your website, what's the message that you want them to walk away with? That's the like a real important part. But also, you know, wh where do you see WellDrive right now? What kind of customers do you guys have? What are the solutions that you guys are really providing, right? The services for the industry. Let's let's hit it. Yeah. So, if, you know, if we could uh, have used the tagline, we would have because uh, Staples stole the easy button. Oh no! Right. But <laughs> what we really are is a is a data platform with some good services behind it that make it easy for an operator to manage find and distribute their data right so lots of operators have drilling technicians and other people whose sole function is to get data from a place whether that's a vendor or you know create data in well you know wellview or some other platform like that uh, and and put that in a place where people can find it that is often on a day-to-day -day basis a, a low value task for that technician or for so maybe they don't have one. Maybe it's a really small operator and they just have the drilling engineers doing everything. Yeah. You know, when shit hits the fan and there's something to be done, that is always the task that gets left behind because you have other things that are more important and more valuable to do. So we find that if, if I, as an engineer, I'm going to go and try and find something historical about a well, I either have to know how to interface with Wellview, which can be a bear, uh, or I have to go find it in some shared folder or you know, if, if I'm, you know, an engineer who likes to be on top of things, I'm probably saving it on my own desktop right. in my own structure. So right. I have the things that I need. Right. Uh, but ultimately at the end of the day, all three of those behaviors you pay for in the end hmm. because the data is incomplete. The data is incorrect. You can't find it. Right. Yeah. And so there's not a single engineer right now that doesn't have that problem. Then if you ask a data scientist or a person that's trying to do analytics, how that affects them, it's existential for them, right? Their jobs cannot be done if that data isn't present. And so they'll spend 80 or 90% of their time sometimes just going back and hunting and begging and borrowing and stealing and, you know, asking for this and that. So Belldrive recognized this as a problem 12 years ago. They've been around a while, which I didn't know that surprised me. They've been around for that long yeah. and I hadn't heard of them. Um, and that's another part of the reason that I joined them. But WellDrive recognized this and they said, we can solve this problem by putting, you know, a, basically a Dropbox out there that's available as a platform, but then putting some services behind it to say that we'll make it easy for all of your vendors to send us data. We don't care who they are. We'll sign them up. We'll teach them how to do it. They can send data in mud reports, directional drilling surveys, plats, you know, uh, Jeez. designs for the pad completions wow, information it's all typically coming from an we'll individual send, and an email like that it's it's historically been email at best yeah right and then yeah then you get you know on the naughty list because your inbox has you know two terabytes of <laughs> you know stuff that your vendors have sent you that you haven't fully classified yet right so we say we'll solve that problem for you we'll have them email it to us we have some software behind the scenes that can identify about 80% of what comes in, say, do quality checks on it and put it in the right place. Okay. So in that Wells folder for that type of document, you know, and we make it really easy to find. Uh, and then okay. we look at the documents. So 
again, with some software, does it have all the necessary fields? Do they have values that are real and, and most likely correct? Uh, and if our software can't, it throws it to a human who has expertise in the domain who can look at that and go, yeah, I'm missing, you know, the the viscosity of the drilling fluid on this day. Mm -hmm. That number doesn't make sense. Let me call the mud guy and let me get that right. You guys do that. Holy smokes. Yeah, that to me is really the the big differentiator. I think there's a lot of people that could write software, write brilliant software that can get to 80%. Yeah, we're at 80%. We're better than that because uh, we have a lot of you know experience over time improving those. But man, it's that last 10, 10 or 20% that is game-changing because it ends up always being something you really need, like without fail. Yeah. You drop toast on the floor, it's going to be butter side down. You don't get data from your vendor, and it's going to be the one you needed yesterday. Right, so we are on top of that. Wow. Um, and so Jeez. then the other thing we do is we, we make it so that whoever needs to get it gets it. They can be notified. They can email, text message, whatever. So the other problem we find is, you know, what if you had a vendor who could do a better job if they just had a little bit of information? Okay, and they're all begging for it. Could I please just get the directional survey? Could I please get... You know, yesterday's mud report. Could I please get this? That's really hard for a technician and an oil company to manage because hmm. they, they'll have so many vendors and, you know, they'll be the single point of contact for all of that. We have the scale of working with so many vendors and so many operators, and we have a platform that allows us to automatically, hey, this mud report comes in, this person subscribed to it, they've been authorized by WellDrive to get it, even though they don't work for the oil company. Um, and it works incredibly well for the non-operating partners. That's oh, who really nice. enjoys the biggest benefit from this. Nice. Because they can get everything that they're authorized to see. Right? Right on. So that's really fundamentally, it's it's very simple. When you think about the product, it's very simple. Simplicity doesn't imply lack of sophistication. It implies reliability, repeatability, and dependability. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. It's it's why you buy a Honda Civic. Mm -hmm. You don't buy a Honda Civic because you want a Ferrari. You buy a Honda Civic because you want to get to work every day and never have to think about it. <laughs> That's what we are, right? So now we're realizing, um, like, you know, and the auto manufacturing uh, analogy applies, that the customers are going to ask us for some more things. Maybe they want to type R. Okay, how can we make that happen? How can we accelerate some of the things that they're trying to accomplish? We're in this unique position that we have you know, for some customers, uh, over a decade of data in, wow. in our platform for them. And we're looking at that. And, and, the, and the reason that they brought me on is because I've made, you know, my career on this, taking data and turning it into decisions and actions mm -hmm. that mean something, that are real, right? So we're looking at this data and saying, are there, is there more we can collect for them that would, that would transform with the data that we have into information, right? Is there things we can do with the data we currently have that maybe we have a better notification workflow, mm -hmm. or maybe we just do one simple calculation on it, something that's just everybody agrees is a normal calculation, but now having that delivered or easy to find makes it so they can do their work better and faster. That's where we're improving the product first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to ask the question, the more fundamental questions for our company 
the the why, the what, the how. Why do we exist? What should our next product be? Not just, you know, what looks cool, what a customer is asking us to do, you know, trying to read tea leaves of what the industry might be doing, but kind of doing a little bit of self-reflection and saying, why are we doing this at all? And that helps us kind of narrow down the, the products we could build. And then we say, well, what are we going to do to support that why? That narrows down the products that we would do a little bit more. And then we start saying how. And those become the products that we build. No, oh, right? right on. And so we're, we started doing that. And, you know, I, I took the first three weeks that I was here just spending time asking those questions, writing them down, being thoughtful about it, refining, you know, what we want that to be. Because I don't want to go in front of a customer and not be able to say why we do what we do. Yeah. Right? It needs to be like, everyone needs to be able to say it. It needs to be a quick sentence, you know, uh, simple words. And that way, even the people that are doing the day-to-day, I'm doing this for this reason. Right. And maybe if I were to, if I feel like going the extra mile for my customer, I know the why. And I will do exactly what they need. Now, that's a Simon Sinek thing, huh? You follow that guy? Uh, A little bit. I've read a few of his books. Um, I'm I'm not one to, like, blindly follow others, but that's a very simple and repeatable and reliable way to get to the answers you need. So I'm perfectly willing to adopt it. Right. Start with the why, then you work through how. How becomes the products. That's yeah, really cool. That's a, yeah, yeah. You're walking me through that pretty good. So how long have you been with uh, WellDrive? Seven weeks. Seven weeks with WellDrive. Right on. Yeah, it feels a lot more than that. Yeah. Uh, I I did a soft start with them. Uh, in a way, I was remodeling a house in Michigan near where I grew up, and so I said, I'm going to finish doing this. I'll just kind of listen to your calls every day. I'll talk to you for an hour here and there. Uh, and just that way, the day I start, I'm I'm going 30 miles an hour instead of two. Yeah. And I really like that, you know, and, and that way also I have time to finish up these projects and I can come to you uninterrupted. Um, so seven weeks officially, you know, on the payroll. Yeah. But a little bit more than that if you wanted to count those yeah. other so how's WellDrive doing? What uh, what's like the the footprint of WellDrive? Is it just in the United States? Is it global? They've had global customers in the past. Uh, we do intend to expand internationally. I'm talking to some folks in Colombia and Brazil about opportunities right now. Nice. Uh, I think that there's a, a lot of opportunity there. Um, we have experience, Derek and I do, in those arenas. We know people, so we can leverage relationships and resources there. Uh, and it's close to home. Uh, I think expanding into Asia and you know North Africa, Middle East, that might take a little bit longer. Uh, and I think we're going to intentionally grow at uh, a metered pace, mm. right? There's so much opportunity on the table in front of us. So many things customers have asked us to do. The first thing we have to do is say no to all the right things and say yes to all the right things. Mm. Uh, and and that's going to be a hard one, right? Because as a small company, they flex on you. They want you to say yes. They want you to do their pet projects. They don't they don't care if you're tied up, right? So we're going to have to be really really judicious about our no's. Uh, and we've already done that a few times since I've been here, and we'll continue to do that. Uh, because you know we get caught up in one mess and it, it could really affect our bottom line. Man, really cool. So you start with the pro- the whole process of of an oil and gas. This is prime only oil and gas. I mean, we're focusing there. The platform could be used for really any kind of 
complex data interchange and workflow situation. Okay. But we want to stay in the lane that we know we're good in. Yeah. Right. We may later on expand out of that, but you only do that once you've really got everything running on all cylinders in the things that, that put money in the treasury. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so again, that that's where we're going to go and say certain things. No, even though our platform could be used for that. Sorry. Yeah. Right. It's not for us right now. Right. Yeah. Um, it's good. It's smart. It's, it's wise is what I'm hearing there. So let's go oil and gas. Stop me when I hit to the get to the point of when well drive immediately should start getting involved with the information that we collect. Geologist. Yes. <laughs> walks into the room, looks at a map, and says, I want to go here to drill a well. So sometimes in that regard, uh, actually most of the first clientele for well drive were geologists. Nice. Um what they're using it for is M&A activity. So when they're evaluating assets Mergers and trying to put... and acquisitions. Yeah. When they're trying to put dollar values on things, the structure that we bring to the data is really valuable to them. And as so if, if a company wants to divest a bunch of wells, we can be a virtual data room really, really easily. Nice. So they were actually some of the first people to use us. Uh, where I would say is like, so if we go back to like the, the life cycle of a well, you have like rote exploration right? where you're doing like seismic interpretation you're trying to do yeah. structures, you're trying to identify, put you know, leases together. Right. Yeah. So, so Teradiz or uh, well drive probably isn't that, uh, seismic data is its own animal. Yeah. It's huge. It's complicated. You're only looking at it in very specific like applications for the yeah. geologist. So that's not where we're going to be. But as soon as you start to get well logs and you start to get some interpretations, things that represent the, the future state of, a, of a, an actual asset of a well, uh, that's when then we get involved. Uh, when you're starting to look at you know, leasing acreage, putting maps and plats and things like that yeah. that are eventually going to become a property of a well. Okay, yeah. let's get those in well drive and, and start to organize those for you. Uh, all the way through drilling completions, production, and abandonment, right? Uh, some of the best use cases for well drive moving forward are going to be on workovers. Really? Those guys are always the redheaded stepchild. They get whatever drawings that the <laughs> drilling and completions guys left. They get back in the napkins, chicken scratch. I've seen it in well files. It's so right? true. And so <laughs> we think they deserve better. I think, you know... I mean, when I did workovers in the Barnett Shale, you know, I'd have to go to the librarian and check out these folders and just deal with whatever that was there. And man, it was a pain in the butt. And I, and I would spend time to go back and like try and make these things better. But yeah. Well Drive is a place where those things can be addressed, right? You now right have on. a company that shares that interest with you, whose quality of their product depends on how they make that better for you. Uh, and and we're also partnering with some other technology companies and even developing our own. Uh, uh, for example, we were looking through a customer's uh, well files. Like we noticed that their well bore schematics literally some were drawn on napkins, and we had a PDF of it. And they were drawn on graph <laughs> Someone paper. Someone scanned it. They're some like, of them were good. from a, from like an application, like a that looked better, yeah. but they had probably been put on a copy machine 85 times and they look like the worksheets you get in fifth grade. And we said, you know, 
what if we had an application that just let our team go find those things, <laughs> quickly make a wellbore schematic, and now your workover guys are looking at the same one every time. They can nice. get to that information quickly. They can that's cool. annotate. And so that's one thing we're working on. Okay? Oh, cool. And so we, you- we've got a, we've got like some accretive things that we're going to do that that's start cool. to address those so shortcomings in those well in the data that we curate on behalf of our customers. Awesome. Yeah. Right on. I've been on a, a couple of calls recently and I'm just thinking to myself that WellDrive could be part of uh, maybe this potential business that's being put together. It's it's about abandoned wells in the state of Texas or really in the country, right? Abandoned oil and gas wells that are leaking typically methane or CO2 or some kind of gases right to the atmosphere. And it's, it's not okay. The, the ranch owner is like, Hey, what the hell is this casing sticking out of my ground? Like, and the operator's long gone, you know, there's no money anywhere. The state's going, Hey, we, we have a fund, but your well's on the list, you know, we'll get to it eventually. Well, this company's coming in and, uh, and, and has a lot of, uh, I, I guess connections between industry that makes it, actually pretty realistic to find abandoned wells get take the liability of them from the state as an operator and then apply plugging technologies to these wells right but you can imagine in a in a company that actually is currently operating they got napkin well bore schematics you can imagine that you're probably not going to know much about any of these wells. And there's thousands of these wells. And, and we do this. I mean, we 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 got like a half a semi-load of boxes of old paper. <laughs> Found a bunch of dead mice, you know, so we got to like get rid of those. Uh, and and we're also like this the same exact thing you said. We're looking at some of these documents and going, there's a couple of these, like a bunch of them. It's okay. All the, the 10,000 invoices that you had before, does it really matter if you paid $19 for a bridge plug in 1947? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. But it does matter if you have a good wellbore schematic. Yeah. Because somebody's eventually going to have to abandon it or work on That's it. That's right. Or something like that. You'd like to be able to like go look at the ones that you had before, you know, where... Just reconstructing an old one. Like how, like you guys have a place in that conversation, yeah, right? Yeah, Reconstructing. There's almost 2,000 of these wells, by the way, that they're looking into and seriously... Oh, there's probably a lot more than that. If you, oh, there if you've is. driven on this, ranches in South Texas <laughs> or Midland, you know, I mean... Just this one, you know, well-documented, like, hey, we have a problem here and we need someone yeah. to come in and fix it. They're like, they, we have the technology or the group that says, hey, I come in and I strap my equipment to the wellhead and I'll tell you what the gases are coming out of it, how much is coming out of it, right? And they, this starts spiraling into the whole carbon credits thing, right? Mm, yeah, I mean, if you could show that you've abandoned that and right. taken the, a greenhouse gas load. You yeah, plugged it, yeah. you turn that off, you get carbon credits for that, and there's potentially you know revenue yeah, for, yeah. for doing something like that. So there's that. Then just the simple fact of doing that, plus finding uh, assets that have wells that actually could be economic and, and turning them back on and just running them more efficiently and running them cleaning, uh, cleanly. You got, Well Drive could actually maybe have uh, a piece of, of, of a conversation here. Of, we, we already are on the, on the M&A side. So people that are buying brownfield assets to work over, like yeah. we are an ideal place to manage that data and to you know help them clean it up and do things with it. So I think it's a natural extension of that for the abandonment side. Um, and if you want to make some introductions, sign me up. I'll, nice. I'll, and, and the other thing, too, is, you know, I'm willing to have conversations, and, and so is Derek and the other executives at WellDrive, about 
you know, how do we extend our technology to do that? Or can we engage a partner? Yeah. We are really fast at working with partners. Uh, we don't mind trying things out. And we'll also, you know, I think we we have a really good background in saying maybe we also bring some some standards and some rationale to how this is done in some nice. ways. Nice. Because I think that's missing in a lot of places. It's just very cowboy still. You know, yeah. it's a function of the history and culture of the oil field. Um, but well, maybe your standards we can, are almost built or... I feel like your standards are almost built to the service company and providers that you use. Like if I get a well log and all this stuff from Schlumberger, they're bringing me this information through the softwares they use and their final products that they use. And I'm like, man, that's, that's pretty nice. Well bore diagram that they have on the front page of their caliper but a, log. But it's a PDF. And what do you do with it? <laughs> that's true. You know, it's like, how do I ask it a question? How do I query it? How do I join it with a production log or yeah. a drill stem test or something or, like that? Yeah. How does that that one wellbore diagram relate to all the other service companies that are working on the same wellbore? Yeah. Standards are a big deal. A yeah. big deal. Yeah. So we're we're working with uh, some other groups, uh, Ensign Drilling and Hess and some others have engaged in this, and, and I love it. Mark Anderson, one of my mentors, is over at Ensign putting this together. They call it the Stupid Project, and it's an acronym that has a real meaning. <laughs> but to start to develop kind of the concept of interchanging data back and forth between drilling contractor and operator in the context of automation, right? Hmm. And, and I look at that and go, yeah, that's the tip of the iceberg. I can build all those things for you, and we're probably going to build some of it for them. Um, we're already working on on some of it. But that would be great to do for workovers, <laughs> right? How does an operator get that information to the workover crew so that they can work and maybe maybe do some automation or maybe just have a better understanding of what is expected today and how yeah. to report data back, how to tell me how many barrels of cement they pumped if they're going to plug something, right? Do they write that down in a napkin and fax it to me? Or do they have something like WellDrive where they just send WellDrive an email and it populates the database right? and, and make it easy and, and, and not cumbersome for the field crews? Uh, I think there's definitely a spot for that. Mm. So when a workover crew runs out and does a job for a company who's all in on well drive they're organized all their their assets all their individual wells are all like in well drive like everything that happens it's being organized that workover crew comes out says we need to reperf this zone they they're going to do all this work on this well reperf the zone and and all this information is being tracked through well drive yeah and and so sometimes the crew that's out there can get an email from WellDrive, or they could even get access to it. We'll say, hey, we'll give you access to this folder that contains that well that you're going to go work on, and we'll give you access to the subfolder that contains the wellbore schematic and perforated intervals. And the, the rig operator, the workover crew, like they the main guy, he it. just or pulls we can, up WellDrive app, or he's like... It can be on the, there's an app, and there's a website. Is that right? You guys yeah. got a phone app? Yeah. To punch, punch in a bunch of information? Like, so we hit... Fluid level at the 16th stand and, you know, so how some, they of the, do some of these are uh, right now only support. Let's send us an email and the email will be formatted a certain way. And some of them are on the app. There's like a form you click on it and say, okay, I want to tell you about, you know, mud today. And you can fill it out. It's a, it's form driven. I would say 90% of the data we get is just, they just send us an email. Yeah. That's and how our system kind of picks out all the key stuff and puts it where it needs to go. What? Yeah. Cause it's, it's no extra training for them. 
Right. So that's what I would get, right? I get work overs done on my wells and I get this like three page. We showed up at 8 a.m., had a safety meeting. Yeah. 8.20, we had this. eight, And then we pulled pipe here and pulled this many stand, like bop, 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 costs at the side, yeah. all the way down, yeah. what they did. You guys take that and you got a ability to freaking like QCR and like read into it and plug yeah, I mean, out if the, it's if it's typed in an email, yeah. then we can extract that, put it in the right places. And then we work with some customers to even like push and pull from Wellview. So now it's part of their system of record. It's still in our system as a system of record. And it's no extra work huh. on their technicians or anyone else. It sure. just gets there. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. Especially when you get a real relationship going in an area where you have a lot of wells and you're doing workovers with kind of the same guys and you're building these relationships. Yeah. Yeah. You that's, can really... that's the big one. Uh, we've been doing it for so long. I think they have almost 500 vendors. <laughs> that that know how to put data and get data into well drive yeah wow and so as you know if we sign up a new customer and they'll say do you work with you know xyz company probably and if not we'll train them over the course of a week and you won't even have to know we did it uh, and then it's one more on the list that knows how to interact with us yeah uh it, but we make it easy for everybody. That's the whole point. You know, I can't steal the easy button topic from Staples, but I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool, man. I can see definitely a lot of benefits of of getting involved with well drive. I'm far too small of an operator, I feel like, but we can certainly talk more about it over this happy hour tonight. Yeah, uh, absolutely. As we're, we're here with the South Texas Geological Society tonight at the Burleson uh, Yard House Beer Garden, I think, Yard Beer Garden, something like that. Anyway, we'll be there tonight. Um, but I can definitely, I'm following what it, what's really going on. And I think, I think the industry is getting into a point where we are starting to optimize assets. So it's not so much buying new, exploring new areas, drilling wildcats. Like there's certainly people that do that and that, that that's always going to be there. But I think a large majority is, is going into optimization mode of what you have and how can you fight the decline curve with some modern concepts and modern technologies and get these workover crews in here that have sonic scrubbing technologies and all these like really cool technologies that exist and that really do make a difference and make very economic uh, wells that might be marginally economic to highly economic and get that on a program where, okay, maybe you have to do it every two years, but every two years that workover happens and that well stays highly economic. But that's it's great to have a cash flowing asset and it's great to have an operating company that's making money, more money than it takes to run it, blah, blah, blah. But at some point, you're gonna wanna sell this thing. At some point, you're gonna be asked, do you have all your shit together? Do you have all this information that's easily available for me to understand? Because I'm interested in buying it from you. Yep, yep. Well Drive comes in through that. I right? think that's one of the biggest value propositions. You know, if, if an operator, if one of our customers came to us and said, we'd like to set up a virtual data room for another company or, you know, collection of companies to come visit us, I could have it ready tomorrow morning because it's not about moving data to a place. It's just about giving them permission to view certain files that we already have. Right. So we have, we have all kinds of role-based permissions and, and a ton of security around that. So the virtual data room is, I just want them to expose to here's the wells I'm considering selling in this, yeah. in this package. 
here's the things that they need to see in the virtual data room, this folder, this folder, this folder, this file, this file, you know, whatever it is. Right on. Done. I send that email out and the next day everybody's got access. Sheesh. With more than 35 years of experience in the industry, Impact Exploration Services has you covered for all your mud logging, geosteering, and geoscience service needs. Impact Exploration Services covers every basin in the lower 48 and can customize the services to your needs. Impact Exploration Services sets the professional standard. And the next time you have problems to solve and questions to answer, think Impact Exploration Services. This episode is brought to you by Trunkline. You probably know Trunkline as the company that makes the legendary oil field horizontal drilling socks. And it's true. Our drill baby drill socks featuring a heel to toe wellbore are 100% American made and are designed right in the heart of the oil and gas industry. But did you know that Trunkline is also a revolutionary digital marketing tool that can transform the way you advertise your oil field services? You can showcase your company's project track record on Trunkline and our automated platform will boost your exposure through social media, email marketing, SEO, and more. Now, whenever one of your new customers asks you, can you show me an example of your work? You can simply turn them to your Trunkline portfolio. It's more effective than a brochure, it's less expensive than sponsoring a whole other golf course, and easier than maintaining your website. Join more than 200 service companies on Trunkline by signing up at register.trunkline.com today. Let's go. Yeah. That's nice. It's real nice. And That's it's structured. Nice. It's the same. They, it makes finding everything if if you've been in part of reading through a virtual data room for just a collection of old wells they want to get rid of that's pain right and i'm sorry but you like you take your you take your clean car to the dealer you get a better value on your trade in it's the same exact thing for uh you know the the data in your data room you'll get more for that asset because people can fairly assess what its value is perfectly said man yeah perfectly said well that's cool i like it I, I that was pretty much the drill down segment for me did we miss anything did you want to go over anything in particular for drill down like what well drive is just the fundamentals is now or what it's going to be completion part of the segment uh right the completion part of the show is where is it we, where are we going that's perfect well i'll save some for that then all right all right <laughs> so is the, are, are we good with the drill down you i think we're good i think you covered all the topics like i think you realize it's it's a simple product it's a Honda Civic. It's what you need to get your job done. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be more than that in the future, but we want it to be simple. Pe people need to have a very simple understanding of something to interact with it, to, to extract the most value from it. Yeah. So I'm glad that it's that. Right on, man. Well, let's, let's officially start the completion part of the PB podcast with Nathan something Italian Zanero. with a Z with a Z Zanero. Yes. How do you spell that? Z Z E N E R O. Easy. Zanero. Zanero. Italians. Um Nathan Zanero, let's do the completion part of the PB podcast. What do you think? Let's dive in. Nice. Okay, man. So let's start with this question. Uh I'm not gonna ask you how much it costs for well drive. I want to know kind of how you guys come up with the cost how do you even is it person by person company by company you know it's it's funny it's the exact same pricing mechanism that i recommended at my last job a billion dollar you know biggie big data company um it has to be something that an engineer can buy on his credit card and no one bats an eye nice because then then the people that need it can use it 
it's around the price of a trash trailer or a porta potty or something that everybody can put on an AFE. Doesn't matter. It's a rounding error for for most of our clients, right? Great. And but the value prop is clearly you know a lot more than that. But th- that's what it'll always be. It's going to be priced that way. Um, I can't imagine you know bolt-on products that we would offer to it or accretive value things that we would add to it that would be sold in a different way. I don't know what that would make sense. And it's always good to be on the AFE because you get tax benefits. You don't, you know, selling to IT can be hard. Uh, If if you've ever done it, you know that. Uh, So we want to be selling to operations. Uh, It comes with its own curse though, because then you're tied to the fluctuation of recount, which can be interruption to your business. But Hmm. the wall drive team over time has really shown that they know how to adapt to that. Uh, and I'm impressed with how they've done it historically. Wow. How is the company set up ge- just generically? You know, is it like military style, one major person, a couple people report to him, more people report to those people that report to that person, or is it more like family oriented, like open office? What, what's it like? Yeah, I'm always time? hesitant to use family because family is where you uh, expect the most and act the worst, <laughs> right? Is, is how I've heard it said. Um, we don't want to bring that kind of baggage in, but it's, it's really, uh, everyone has a, a loosely defined role. Like Kevin is expected as VP of sales to manage sales. Derek is the president of the company. He kind of handles a lot of admin stuff. Uh, and, but in, in I'm VP of engineering, I'm supposed to do product development enhancement, so on and so forth, but we're small enough that everyone here has to do a little bit of everything. Right. Everyone has to, you know, that, that book that Jocko Willink wrote, everyone here has to express extreme ownership as often as possible. Nice. So we're all involved in sales <laughs> always. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's a rule. If you sell things to someone, then everyone in the company is involved in sales. Uh, Derek and I will both work on, you know, technology side of things. Kevin's a little bit uh, less involved in that because he's really, really focused on the sales side and that takes up a lot of time. Um, but there's, I mean, we are the kind of folks that if someone, if the floor was dirty and it needed to be swept before we left, some one of us would do it, right? No one's going to say that's not my job, right? We, we all recognize what needs to be done. So nice. um, there is like, you know, push comes to shove. There's a hierarchy, Right, but we really don't have to flex on each other like that. Yeah. It's it's very uh, uh, decisions are made by everyone together, but it's also small enough group that we generally agree, and it's just a matter of like ironing out small differences and making sure punctuation is correct. Right That's on. our biggest thing we we look at is do we spell things right and have the right commas right on yeah. right on all right so then uh, before we get into uh what you what your take is of of well drive for the next five ten years or whatever how many years you want to talk about this uh in the future tell me what your thoughts are on uh on just kind of fundamental industry stuff you know oil and gas certainly primary target and it's you know something you guys do but you talked about other industries that you could help with with well drive right could we apply to other industries where are you at what's your gut telling you about the health of the industries uh, moving forward? I think that the industry itself without externalities is very healthy. I see that a lot of companies have cleaned up their books, gotten rid of a lot of liability, bought back stock. I'm so happy that Continental went private. I wish that 
EOG would go private. I wish that Conoco would go private. In my mind, like get these oil companies need to get themselves out of the public markets and out of the public eye. That would, that's my thought on it. I speak for myself. Um, Interesting though. And because, you know, their, their hands are tied with some of this, this ESG stuff. It is, it's a burden. It's a big one. It's a distraction from their core mission. Um, We've seen some of them rejected in whole or in part. You know, Exxon was very careful to avoid the geopolitics of Ukraine and not let the flag be flown and and things like that. Other oil companies lit up their buildings with blue and yellow in, in support of that. You know, but Exxon said, no, our core mission is we make oil. We're not ashamed of that. Uh, if you've noticed, BP has said we're getting rid of most of our, you know, non core oil and gas energy stuff mm-hmm. we're, we're an oil company we're not gonna run from that i think shell is kind of turning around in the same way um so i think the industry itself is healthier healthy it wants to be healthier and they're doing the right things i think the hmm. recent you know oil price situation is gonna slow that down a little bit but it might even all let them be more internally reflective and they'll come out of it saying as soon as the price is this, we're going to get healthier. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very bullish on the industry. I, I, I always have been. I think it's fundamental for human life. Uh, but in in my tenure in the business, I am more bullish now than I was five years ago. Wow. When you say it's fundamental to human life, when humans went from burning coal and wood and right to having petroleum and and really understanding petroleum's role in in our uh societies and civilization i mean without it do you think the human species would be dead at this point i don't think it'd be dead i think there'd be 50 percent less people alive 50 i think i think that's you know we, we saw like a quadrupling maybe more of human population once there was access to cheap energy there's no greater predictor of human longevity and human quality of life than access to cheap energy. And there is no greater source of cheap energy at the moment than hydrocarbons, right? Shame on us for not being more aggressive in nuclear, right? Because that could be a a, a more sustainable mix between hydrocarbons and nuclear uh, for cheap energy. Uh, but you take that away, you know, and this is something that really bothers me. We want the the continent of Africa to, you know, come into the, the the new century and into the new millennium and join the rest of the world in, you know, first world status. We want them to do it without using energy. Okay. And essentially I, I view people that, that push that notion as just saying, no, we would rather than be third world. They don't need to be as, as uh, advanced as us. Hmm. Yeah. That's my little tirade. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, man. More whiskey and less microphone. <laughs> we, we could talk more about it. For sure. Um, yeah, cool. No, I, I totally agree. Yeah, uh, oil and gas and, and hydrocarbons, the idea of H2C. You know, we talk about H2O and everyone's like, oh, it's water. You know, like, well, H2C is also a very, very big deal. And that's yeah. exactly what oil is and gas. Yeah. And uh, it's part of what we do and and uh, yeah, it always will yeah. be and you just you, you, there, and it's not even just we'll take the energy part of the equation is is hugely important but we all know that that's not the only thing that's coming out of a barrel right we're getting 
textiles, we're getting fertilizers, we're getting petrochemicals, we're getting uh, feedstock for a lot of medicines. You know, if you, and hydrocarbons are easy to manipulate from the chemistry side. We we have a ton of experience doing it. Yep. To take all of that away too yep. uh, would just be detrimental to diamondoids. Diamondoids and oil are now uh, in in treating Alzheimer's and maybe even yeah. cancer. I mean, come on, yeah. come on. This stuff is uh, is beyond us right now. It's conceptually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I like it, man. I, I also I think uh, you know we're confident in in the fact that. That is the truth that the future will be an oil and gas uh, foundation with the hopes and dreams of all kinds of great ideas and, and, and engineering feats that are uh, ahead of us and unknown to us. But right now it is what it is. Um, you know, what do you think about politics and all that stuff? How, what's your gut telling you about just kind of global politics and kind of where everything's going? You've heard about this BRIC stuff, right? This idea yeah, that yeah, yeah. the U.S. dollar might not be the only thing that's traded on and all that. I, I think, you know, the the hegemony of the petrodollar is the reason we're in Ukraine. Uh, I think that that our kind of like the way we have organized our state, our nation, means that, you know, the, the two parties are, are putting people into power that are desperately trying to hold on to that because they know once that we, we once we're not a reserve currency that that we're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. And the reserve currency is coming is really based in the status of the petrodollar. Um, China doesn't want that anymore. They 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 know it. You know, they don't want to have the surcharge of having to deal in in US dollars. Uh, it it I am concerned that that's going to lead to to violence. Hmm. But it's going to be violence that's not instigated by the people. It's going to be instigated by the people who are in power. And you know, I don't want to see young men go to war for the bad decisions or the the egos or you know whatever of of people in D.C. or elsewhere who are really just trying to preserve a, a way of life, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think I'm also a big fan of ripping off band aids. If we have to realize that. There's going to be, you know, a duality in petrodollars, for instance. If yeah. it's one and the dollar, we need to be honest about that and, and to our citizenry and stop borrowing money in the way we borrow. Think about how sure. we want to live our lives and, and just do it. Sure. Right. Yeah. It's interesting, dude, the going to the rabbit holes of, of all that and how that would go. Hypothetically, if you went one way or another, you know, how does this all go? Uh, but yeah, I, I believe in the, the, kind of the nation of states i believe that you know we we have a system that allows us to be very flexible and there's pros and cons of that you know the the cons of being you know so left so right blah yeah, blah blah right yeah, but then yeah. there's the pros of well if one of them makes a major mistake you got 49 other states that are ready to you know get us through those mistakes and yeah and we're still yeah. a nation so yeah, I'm confident that, that that all holds up. I believe in in the hearts of the people. I believe that social media has made a massive change in the way that we actually communicate at a human level between yeah, countries yeah. and yeah. between languages. Um, it's beyond just both. Vo- uh, it's a, to me, it's beyond just uh, language. There's there's more to it now. We're seeing that. I think with uh, it's, it's hard to have an enemy that you've seen. Yeah, right. You can hide behind an ocean. Or you can hide behind a wall or whatever and yeah. say that the other person is uh, a monster. 
or or the reason that you're not successful as you sure. want. It doesn't even have to be a monster. It could just be the reason for you pick any problem in your life. Yeah, why you're there and you have a gun in your hand, you need to shoot when you. Yeah, yeah. but you know, once you see people and oh, they live in like they live like I do. They eat yeah, food like I do. Right. They have a family like I do. That's it's right. really hard to hate them. That's right. You know, so I I think there's a huge that's value right. in that. I 100 percent agree, man. I think that's definitely changing the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good, bad, or indifferent. Social media does have uh its pros and cons too uh yeah every everything does you know every every tool is a weapon yeah if you want it to be oh yeah you gotta you be know. careful with this stuff you know they're talking about tiktok they're like man the, al- <laughs> the, al- the algorithms I'm glad you went there i wasn't going there. <laughs> yeah the algorithms in america are all about like kicking each other in the nuts a lot of the algorithms of like other countries are like no like this is here's an amazing guy with an amazing life doing amazing things learn yeah. from him yeah. you know they they pound different algorithms for than, sure than we for do sure. uh i don't know how much i believe in all that stuff at the end of the day i mean you know that if you if if we swapped phones and I looked through your reel and you looked through mine, I would get an insight of kind of. See, shit. I'm the kind of guy I don't have TikTok on my phone because I didn't want it. I don't. Even, I don't have Facebook and I have TikTok. Nice. You know, I kind of like keep off of those things for a reason. Um, it's hard to maintain What's a challenger mindset if you're consuming a lot of ah. social media. I'll say that. Uh, it's hard to keep a challenger mindset if you're consuming a lot of social media. Yeah, because those are those are designed to give you your thoughts, not to let you create your own. Uh, so I prefer to create my own. Yeah. I'll still go and I'll look at stuff and entertained by me. it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I watch, I use YouTube a lot just because I like to watch people fix stuff, right? Um, and there's always like things that pop up in that, but you know, I really want to evaluate the world through my own eyes you know come yeah. to conclusions that i can rationalize through you know the the different methods of, of rationale uh and then i'll go back and see what other people are thinking and see where you know like and maybe there is an opportunity for me to recognize that i need to change the way i think because mm. i was wrong i'm willing to admit that man who um, taught you this philosophy who taught you this idea that you can you you have this ability to understand what's in front of you you have the tools that you you know what's going on you can figure it out but you also have the ability in the psychology or the philosophy that allows you to say oh, maybe i'm thinking about this wrong who taught you that i would say it's a collection of lots of people over time you know but fun you know i'll just say you know i'm i'm angelo's grandson i know he had that that was in his nature yeah and so it's i'll just say it's partly genetic too <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, you, yeah, you, you, yeah. Anyway, that was, that was cool. I've, I've heard this. Um, yeah, I work with uh, a really, really interesting geologist that's very against the grain. And his, his, he always says to, to everybody that asks him, you know, well, how'd you come up with all these ideas and, and all these different ways of thinking about rocks? And he, he blames his philosophy degree. He, he was, he got an undergrad in philosophy first and then geology second. Uh, I, I'm jealous in a way because when I started college, I, I, I told my wife at the time then that if I could choose, regardless of the ability to make a living, a degree to get, it would have been a philosophy degree. Yeah. Right. And and I do read a fair bit of those books and just and then you apply those principles and you see how they work out. Right. And it's really easy to see too in a lot of situations. Like, did my philosophy, did my approach to thinking lead to a good or bad decision? Yeah. And if they consistently lead to good decisions, it's a reinforcement tool to say, well, I'll, I'll keep doing that. Yeah. Right. And as long as you're willing to admit when it didn't, because you know, a lot of people aren't, they have uh, some kind of sunk cost in, in the decisions sure. that they made or, you know, there's, 
I sure. mean, there is a, there's a reality in humans if they've you come to a realization and you come to them and you show them that it's wrong, 80% of them will double down. Yes, dude, that's wrong. what we're seeing all over the right? place, I feel like, right now. And it's now. human nature, right? And so, again, like, I... Like, we're really doing this? Yeah. Oh, and now we're doubling down on this? Like, yeah. Like, wait a yeah. minute, what? And, and, and I can respect that. And the other thing that it's taught me over time is, so these are tools that I use. I don't expect everyone else to use them. In fact, I expect most people to not. And I don't say that as a derogatory about anybody. It's just a realization. You know, Pareto's law applies to everything. 20% of people will do it, 80% won't. You know, and so this is one of those 20, I think probably 20% of people apply these methods naturally and 80% of the people don't. Um, and it's it's a rational thought in their mind. You know, they they re they recognize I might not be capable of coming, of observing and making these decisions on my own, uh -huh. but I can find someone I trust that has that capability. Yeah. So I'll choose to just follow. Yeah. And that's a rational decision. And it, I, I can respect that. And even in our own lives, I mean, I can't be an expert in everything, you know, so I'll find someone who is an expert in a thing yep. and mostly follow <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. Never, never a hundred percent, but you, know, you, ha right. you have to just cause you can't be omniscient and omnipresent. Yeah. Man, right on, dude. That was cool. A good start to the completion part of this, the, uh, the, the <laughs> podcast here. What is it, man? What's WellDrive doing? What's the next five? You know, tell me. You tell me. Is it a one, two-year program, five-year, 10-year? Where are you at? What's the future of WellDrive looking so like? So we start with why. Okay. Okay. We'll kind of close these loops as we go. WellDrive exists to use data to provide the most energy to the most people. That's our why. Anything that fits in that, is something that we could eventually pursue. So it's going to involve energy and it's going to involve data, right? That's, that's why we are to do that. We have to ask and we have to like, we have to high grade these and say, okay, well I'm doing things today. What are things I can add to that? That help me provide what one thing could I add to that? That helps me do the most, do more of that, mm. more energy to more people. Right. So we look at like who is creating energy, how it's discovered, how it is, the, the wells are constructed. This could this could apply to geothermal. This could apply to nuclear at some point. You see, so those are the areas we may go. It doesn't have to be hydrocarbons, but for now it's going to be because that's how we've built our business historically. Yeah, and we say, okay, well, what are what's a data set that I don't get in well drive today that if I added could. And I'll use a, a badly abused word, synergistic, that could be so much more than the sum of its parts if I had that in WellDrive now, that my customers could start drilling a better well tomorrow hmm. or could do a better completion tomorrow or could do a better workover tomorrow, right? And so we have a list of those, right? And uh, then, the, then the next question is, okay, it's not just about data, right? We want to take, to get people to get more, energy we have to take that data and we have to refine it we have to turn it into information so that may require some math that may require some science that may require joining mm. it with other data so that has to be done and then we want to turn that into the ability of our customer to make a decision take an action right because any of the first two things without the last two is worthless Wow. Right. Just putting, yeah. burying something in a box only guarantees that when you take it out, it's probably going to be worth less than it is, unless it's like a Van Gogh painting or something. But most things buried rot. 
yeah. right? So we want to we want to add value to them and then get them into the hands of decision makers. So what that means is new sources of data, new ways to refine the data, and better ways to get it to the people who need to make decisions. Those are the three big levers we're going to pull. Cool, right? So to do that, I have to go find new sources of data. So the first one was I want to get IoT data from drilling and completions into the WellDrive platform, super low cost, super easy. Okay. Drilling sensor data from MD Taco and Payson, working with the bakers and the Jeez. coal bores of the world to get that data into WellDrive and, and then start to join that with what's there. So that's kind of like number one. Then number two is refine it. So we're doing that on the drilling side by saying I can take that data, I can, from the IoT data, I can do rig state determination on it, I can tell you what your rig is doing, build reports that you can take to your driller and say, here's what I want you to improve today, here's how you did it yesterday, here's what the data is telling me, let's talk about how to improve that today so that tomorrow you do that 3% faster. And we get better control on that process. It could be tripping, mm -hmm. it could be making a connection, it could be taking a survey. Then we're going to join that with the data that's already in WellDrive. MUD reports, BHA reports. And now we're going to say, okay, here's how you're using your tools. Here, maybe, you're, maybe you're really beating on your bits. Maybe you are causing whirl on your BHAs that's causing damage. Let's get the data to tell us that. And then let's look at energy balances. I have MUD reports and I have BHAs. Now I can do the hydraulic side of the MSE equations to say, here's how you're using your tools. Are you using them efficiently? Mm, wow. I've got well logs in well drive. Right I can on. do absolute efficiency. I can calculate confined compressive strength or estimate it to a pretty accurate degree. And now I can say I have a rock that is this strong in PSI. I have energy that I'm inputting into the system. Mechanical specific energy happens to be in PSI. Well, the ratio of those is my absolute efficiency. Imagine being able to wake up in the morning as a drilling engineer and get a report saying, here's my absolute efficiency for my last 24 hours. Here's my relative efficiency for my last 24 hours. Here's my indicators of drilling dysfunctions for the last 24 hours. Since I slept, I'd like to go talk to the driller to say, could we work on this tonight, today, Jeez. and have a better, more efficient process? <laughs> And then how do you deliver that? In, how do you deliver that information? Email reports or texts, but there will be uh, there will be better ways to do that. So that so phase one is collect new data and refine it. <coughs> Step two is expose it to people who are going to drive decisions. Right? right? Wouldn't I love to get this in information automatically put into somebody's torque and drag application? Right. Yep. Wouldn't I like it <laughs> into their into their drilling fluid side and hydraulics analysis? Yeah. So. I would like to now take that that basic cut and say, now let's give that to a partner who's going to do something I'm never going to do. I'm not going to make torque and drag. I'm not going to make hydraulics. There are people who are better at that, but I want to make it so easy for them to get data that now it's automatic. And it looks seamless to the end user because we've made it that way. And then maybe torque and drag application said something back. Wouldn't it be great if it was just green light, red light, yellow light? And then the drilling Jeez. engineer just has a little board on his wall of lights. <laughs> and he just looks for one to turn red. Yeah. And then he acts by exception. And now he's driving action. Holy cow. That's that's kind of the the path that we want to to help our customers realize. 
And we just have to do it in pieces. Yeah. We build them out and test them and earn their trust and then do the next one. Yeah. You got a price point that allows you in. Yeah. Right. You get to do it. You get to show them what your, your salt, right. Your mm-hmm. worth. And they're yeah. going to go, wow. Okay. I really, I, I do really like this. You know, your direct contact to the decision makers that are seeing data in a specific way. You're able to tweak it and let them see it in that specific way. Like that seems pretty cool, man. And, and there's a couple of things that, like from from a design and delivery paradigm that we will maintain as long as I'm here, uh, but I want to bake into the company like forever, is um, we sell steak, not sizzle, right? There's some companies out there that have absolutely beautiful presentations of data that don't drive decisions, hmm. that don't add the value that yeah. engineers don't fully trust. Yeah. I'm not Might selling well. sizzle. I'm selling steak. There you go. You might get a little sizzle with it because that's just the nature of the beast. But what I, what I want to have happen is there to be a ton of transparency, an engineer that looks at a calculation that I provide him or her should be able to rationalize without much effort, how I achieved that. Right. Cause that's what engineers do trained not to believe anything and to, you know, at least until we've learned to trust it. So I want to enable that. The other thing is I want the engineer to have access to all the data, not just the data that I want to share, right? A lot of applications will uh, do the number crunching and spit out a PDF Mm -hmm. and that's all you get. Um, Or they will give you, you know, some of the data and like a, a row, a column of calculated values in a spreadsheet I think we can do better than that, hmm. right? Without giving away intellectual property even, we should be able to show people how we got there so they can trust it. And you know what? I'll be the first one to say, my algorithms, because it's the real world, are never going to yield perfect results all the time. That needs to be a topic of conversation. And for a customer to come back and say, you know what? I'm, I think we can improve this one. And then we have a real open conversation about how to do it rather than me trying to hide it all behind a veil and pretend it's all secret and, you know, just yeah. cause that, that it's, it becomes gridlock at the end of the yeah. day. Cause then they just say, well, I can't trust it. So I can't use it. And then I can't sell it. I'd like to smooth all that out and say, I'll, I will show you everything I can that doesn't like give away my IP. Like, and, and we'll be generous with it, what our gen- definition of IP is. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I just, I want you to use my platform. I want I want it to I want the data to flow through it so that you can make a decision. Yep. It's the only way that can happen. Right on. That's good, man. Yeah. To be at the end of the day, having a tool, having a service that decisions are being based on. Yeah. Is a that's it. I mean, that's how you succeed. And then once you get to that point and you've done it with with all the right actions and intentions, so you've done it in an ethical way. I, th- I think that you will have a business that will survive a very long time yep. and become indispensable to the way people work. If you noticed, my why doesn't include anything about profits or money or anything like that. Yeah. We will never, I say never, we, as long as I'm with, with WellDrive, that is not going to be part of why we exist or even what we do. Right, I'm not going to put the dollar as the as the singular representation of our success. Doing the right thing always leads to money, because right people will come and give it to you, you know, in some form or fashion. Um, so that's that's what we're going to do. 
and expect that that will always lead to the outcome of us being able to pay our people and make a profit and grow the company. Yeah, man. Right on, sir. Right on. Well, I think that was a great way to uh, basically end the completion part of the show, man. What do you Perfect. think? Is there anything else that you wanted to dive into, talk about? With, oh, uh, we, we could, but it'd be a 12-hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, thank you so much, man. I enjoyed it. Thank this. you. Appreciate the time. Thanks for inviting me. Right on.